everybody. Connor Lestoka here. This is 372 pages we'll never get back. The Bad Book Club, where Michael J. Nelson and I read bad books together, well, along with you, our beloved listening audience. And we're in the middle of a, <laughs> a, a bad one, an enjoyably bad one, Mike. It is. Uh, it's enjoyable. Uh, but we, we were talking before the, we started recording, and let's just bring it into this right away because it's fairly fascinating. Of of all the authors mm-hmm. in our the pantheon of three hundred and seventy two pages, I've never been. Uh, I've, I've I've always felt that they were fairly harmless. I, I feel like this author is a monster, <laughs> like an absolute monster. <laughs> you mean in terms of his use of grammar or that type of thing? Uh, his ideas <laughs> were this guy uh, given his reign uh, we'd all be dead right uh, yeah. or many of us would be dead I don't know maybe some of us would uh, fit into his uh, maybe some of your super geniuses <laughs> sure if Ernest Klein <laughs> multiple you know, got degrees the, if Ernest Klein was in control of the earth's government you'd probably just have like you know Star Wars Day or something like that if the the Devlin sisters were in charge you'd probably just have uh, you know, government rations of chamomile tea sent out to people to ensure maximum coziness. But this guy, <laughs> oh, yeah, the, uh, you know, uh, Henry Ford, uh, not a great guy, but he used to uh, he liked ballroom dancing and thought it was healthy. And so he required all of his workers <laughs> to ballroom dance. Well, that's eccentric. And, yeah. And, you know, like Ernest Klein, Yeah. He'd make you wear a Star Wars T-shirt on, you know, May the 6th, May the 4th or whatever, <laughs> which would be annoying. And but but yeah, he, he probably wouldn't aim the uh, the killing power at you for <laughs> this guy. Seems like he's ready to go with it. Right. And this is but he also seems like the kind of guy that, uh, you know, it's the it's the classic cliche of whenever there is a a. The guy next door who turns out to have the bodies in his basement was like, oh, he seemed so nice and normal. He kept to himself. You get the feeling that this guy would be, uh, we may have even mentioned it before, but he's like, hey, uh, guy in the next cubicle next to me, I I wrote a book. Oh, sounds good, man. What'd you do? And then the guy reads it and comes in and can't even look him in the eye at the office the next day because it's so insane. (laughs) Uh, you were harboring these ideas all along? (laughs) Or is this a new thing, you know? You know that... uh, that uh, 70-year-old guy who just comes in and eats a, a packet of turkey for lunch every day. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got some crazy ideas, man. You don't want <laughs> to cross him. Don't accidentally dent his car in the parking lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it bugged me the way that turkey kind of smells kind of sulfurous and I, every day at the exact time. He, that bugged me, but I didn't know he wanted me dead. I, <laughs> that's, that's a little, that's more than eccentric. And I don't even know if he mentioned it, but the, 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 the author is Charles Kim and the book is Super Constitution, which uh, fortunately for, you know, everybody reading probably is the rarest and hardest to find book we've ever covered here. But we've been doing a uh, admirable job, I think, of, of, of our listeners uh, reading along with us and writing in the the dedicated few who found it have have managed to write fanfic that's been quite tricky have sent in dumb sentences and uh, maybe when they're all done they'll they'll list it and people can can pass along the <laughs> interesting musings of our author here yes and he's the the one of the first ones i think that with other authors we could say he's this plus this you know he's the elevator pitch of its speed meets you know saving private ryan or whatever mm-hmm. uh, our authors we can always you know, zero in on his prose is like this, but his ideas are this, this guy, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't think we can compare him to anyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, without saying, you know, Unabomber plus like Unabomber (laughs) plus like 
Grover Norquist or something. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know. I don't know where he got his ideas. I mean, that we have. There's a few clues along the way, but uh, sure, yes. <laughs> but but uh, maybe we should dive in. Yeah, like should we get? You want to get us up to speed on the on the plot so far? Sure. Yeah, uh, Miss O'Hara from the distant star O'Hara. The, the star uh, <laughs> threatens uh, the presidents of the basically the the G8 summit presidents or whatever to uh, uh, I'll I have the power I have the killing power mm-hmm. so get your crap together and and make a super constitution yes and uh, and then we meet the people behind it and they are three college students uh, J- James mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. and uh, how can I forget Brenda right Brenda. <laughs> uh, they are they are super geniuses who excel at different things. They basically have superpowers of some sort, <laughs> and um, they decide, "Hey, I can communicate well." You, uh, you know, your father has a barn and costumes. Let's write a super constitution <laughs> and force the world to live under it. And then they talk to uh, Brenda's dad, and he's like, "That sounds like a good idea." And then they hammer it out, and then they force the globe to conform to their lunatic <laughs> ideas. And so that's where we are now. They're, they're in the middle of sort of building the Constitution under the threat of death from uh, Brenda and John and James, the college kids. Yeah, they're, they're killing power or killing wave. I think it's referred to interchangeably like that, which they've uh, alluded to quite a bit. And uh, as of yet, though, have yet to demonstrate on the— Globe, who nevertheless seems quite willing to go along with all their demands, even though the killing power has just been alluded to. You this know? is something that comes up again and again, <laughs> where people are like, you know, uh, there'll be one dissenter like, sure, we could go along with the insane demands of erasing our borders. But uh, we haven't seen that they actually have the killing. It's like the guy with the gun in his jacket. Give yep. me all your money. Like, eh. I thought the exact same thing. There's a scene in Field of Dreams where Kevin Costner goes in to kidnap James Earl Jones by putting his gun inside his finger. He instantly sees through it, of course, but it's as if he was just like, whoa, I've got to go. This guy is is pointing his finger at me. Uh, Yeah, so that's what we have. But so far, none of the major powers of the world has balked. Um, But we'll we'll get to that. And the one question I have as we we read, because we are now, this will put us, I think— past the halfway mark of this book by the time we finish this, is the superpowers you alluded to, uh, as well as the um, fact that Brenda trained for a summer as a uh, Top Gun fighter pilot. Yes. We also had the uh, James or John was the world-class judoist, and then the other one was the sea lion who can hold his breath underwater for 20 minutes. Will any of those (laughs) have have a bearing on the plot as we approach the back half of this one, or will they be... Uh, bleary on it, as we say in this. Will they be introduced and uh, Chekhov's gun as if Chekhov never had that policy? Right. And, or will it be um, Gump and Co., where he is the leading quarterback, the most famous person on the globe, <laughs> and then uh, later people just seem to forget that that ever happened. Right. As there's it never comes up again. Million-dollar bounties on his head, and they forget to, <laughs> that he won the Super Bowl. Yes. All right. So that brings us to the articles in the uh, the chapters are articles, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Article Nine. Yes, and it's titled "Communicating Capability," which 
uh, just gets it gets ironic really quickly because <laughs> he starts off by defining the word communicate, which yes is just you know bitterly ironic and. Some of this stuff is is not necessarily funny per se, but you need to read it out loud just so anyone who doesn't have a copy of the book understands what we're dealing with here. You know, because this this starts off like a a parody of a high schooler trying to hit his uh, essay word count. Mm -hmm. For example, he says, communicate means to give or interchange thoughts, feelings, knowledge, information, or the like by writing or speaking, etc., There are many words concerned on the act or process of communication. Signal, signify, denote, connote, express, suggest, indicate, illustrate, etc., etc. The synonyms for communication has more than 40 words, such as tell, impart, divulge, get through, etc. It's incredible. Um, And uh, he does that a number of times, by the way. And he continues to use that thing of just like parentheticals and then the Webster's defines as. (laughs) It gets a little interesting. Yeah, it gets this section. I don't know if I've missed it before, but this section got a little Antigua-y where the Ellis's would say the same sentence, sort of rephrase the same point three different ways. And we speculated that they just had done that and meant to edit out one, two of them and left them all in. He starts doing that a lot, I feel like, in this section. Yeah, that's true. I I did have that uh, feeling of, wait, did I did I accidentally scroll back to the uh, an earlier part and then word search and I'm like, nope, same exact uh, sentence. <laughs> uh, but he opens with this. Uh, this is maybe a little subtle, but I think I'll get the point across. Communicating capability, along with the killing power and delivering means, definitely plays one of the three major elements to carry on the super constitution. <laughs> so. I just have another example of uh, how, how that might work. Athos, along with Portos and Aramis, was definitely one of the three musketeers in the group known as the Three Musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> Listing uh, three things and saying, that was definitely one of the three <laughs> things that I just listed. <laughs> yeah, but if one of those three things uh, was a little more important than the other ones, I would say. Yes. You know, uh, saying... Uh, the book I was reading, the plane that I flew on, and the peanuts they handed out were all one of three major elements of me flying across the country. Yes. Like, I feel like the super constitution hinges a bit more on the killing power than uh, communicating or delivering means. Uh, yes. CB radio um, uh, and uh, the ability to write... And a canister of sarin gas or whatever, that, <laughs> sarin, whatever the hell that is. Yeah, one of those sticks out. Uh, but uh, yeah, that is what, uh, uh, and uh, Miss O'Hara, mm-hmm. she just claims that she has it. Yes. And, and so no one has died. Right. And I, I just want to want to keep pointing that out <laughs> as we go through the very dry elements of making the super constitution. Right. I don't even think they've uh, established that she is where she claims to be from. You know, for all they know, she could be a a, uh, a kid in the other room using one of those devices you that broadcast your voice over an FM radio. Yeah. Yeah. Or as we saw at the very beginning, could be a toy. Right. Uh, but after you're, you point out the Webster's defines, you know, communications, the very next paragraph is, a human being is the best at all creation because humans can communicate with each other. As the Lord of all creation. So, oh, yes. <laughs> the Lord of all creation. So suddenly we get sweepingly philosophical. 
<laughs> After a dry definition of what communicate means. Yeah, he says no communication, no civilization. I, I, I guess you, you can't really argue with that, Mike. <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, Plot-wise, it starts with uh, Brenda and uh, John and James sort of having a discussion because the, uh, in the, the last chapter ended with the UN sort of just roundly asserting that the super constitution was great and they were happy to go along with it. So they, they start after that meeting by saying, uh, I think, John and James, we'd better give the special commission a concrete schedule of decommissioning the WMD. And also, we better set up a clear-cut, realistic procedure for materializing the global government according to the super constitution. <laughs> Which is, you know, your classic afterthought. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. And uh, did I mention we right. should probably, the meeting might go long, so we maybe order in. Yes. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and throughout the this chapter, and as they start to try to decommission these, he does use the, the WMD. Which, at first, I was like, oh, you tip your hat to him, because that's technically the plural of weapons of mass destruction. Like, it's already, you know, the plural is built into the uh, acronym. But very quickly, it begun to annoy me. Like, when if people would be like, Albert Pujols has uh, 104 RBI this year. It's like, yes. come on now. Like, we, you yes. know, like, <laughs> you can, you can exactly. pluralize your acronyms here. No one's going to take you to grammar court for it. All right. If someone, uh, you know, mother's in law, like stop uh, that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but uh, again, just to give people a taste of what we're dealing with here, I don't think you'll find this sentence or anything like it in any other book. And feel free to prove me wrong by searching it. <laughs> uh, this is a quote. Right. I am sure we have to issue authentic orders by the number of official promulgations, John said, relaying Brenda's initiative and John presented as the following. Ah, <laughs> uh, just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's you have a lot of these as we go forward, and we, we can't cover all of them. But the the way that characters, um, I, don't, I don't know what you call the part of speech, but at, you know, John said relaying Brenda's initiative, or as characters begin to speak, those type of um, interjections he uses in the dialogue are just a chef's kiss every single time he he, he picks one. Like, it just has another one. Brenda agreed emphatically, and John gave the following suggestion. John immediately adopted James' proposal. Brenda went on to make her fourth appearance. (laughs) (laughs) It's especially good when he has someone monologuing horribly and then just will break the paragraph and say, he continued to speak. (laughs) Uh, But but you mentioned the the word promulgation, which... uh, was not a word I was really familiar with, but it, it, it has a big showing in this chapter. Because, oh, huge. <laughs> because Miss O'Hara, Brenda shows up as, as Miss O'Hara, disguised as a different phenotype, it says. Um, she appeared not only with her voice, but with her figure from head to foot. But her figure and face showed a completely different phenotype, a tall blonde with blue eyes. So somehow she has figured out how to disguise herself here. I'm not sure if it's like a you know virtual... Um, avatar type of thing, a metaverse type of thing. But uh, as as you would suspect, since Brenda Chen is the most gorgeous woman in the world, he didn't clarify right away if Miss O'Hara was. But he, he he does later on. Do not worry. She's in- incredibly attractive herself. I think sexy <laughs> I, I was, was used as her, as her virtual appearance. 
Yeah, because he says uh, it was big news when Miss O'Hara from the Star O'Hara, 21 light years away. I like that they made that choice, by the way. <laughs> uh, her English intonation resembled the New England accent of the northeastern part of the United States. <laughs> so I, I immediately, like, I don't know, Catherine Hepburn or the Pepperidge Farm guy. I have no, uh, right. I, I don't have any other, uh, but I assume she came and said, I'm Miss O'Hara from yeah. Star O'Hara. Yeah, or just a uh, park the car, you know, sort of South Boston type of. Your cousin from Boston. Yeah, I don't like, know. Oh my God, this this alien is so hot, but this, uh, I, ca- I can't stop thinking about the loons with her talking this way. This is awful. Yeah. But it's Imagine also just like it'd be she'd be hot to be with. But then like two weeks in with her going, honey, uh, that was wonderful sex we had. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it also just deploys such a lack of imagination on our author's part that he's like, you have a, a, a being from 21 light years away. Uh, and it says it appeared about the same as a Caucasian. <laughs> right. About. So like this, you have slightly, uh, uh, you know, Larger ears? Like, what's the, what is the slight difference that's not the same? And, and, you know, as super geniuses, I would think that, you know, like Wiley Coyote was a super genius as well, right? If he was presenting himself as someone from 21 light years away, you might pretend to have like a universal communicator or something like, as I have to talk to you puny humans, <laughs> right. I need to speak into my X35 unit and you will begin to understand me. Instead, it's just like, hey, everyone, I'm Miss O'Hara. <laughs> because then you would at least have it out if they tried to call you back or something. You could be like, oh, I've mixed place the X35 unit. I, you know, just leave a message. Right. I, I can't talk to you, president <laughs> of Russia. Right. But so she's what essentially what she appears here to do is she orders the three uh, you know, major powers that they're leaning on here, U.S., China, and Russia, and tells them that they needed to pick a... They each need to pick three candidates for the world government, I guess. The, the global president, global chief justice of the courts, and then global congressional chairperson. And so that's sort of yes. the plot that's set into motion here. Yes. Uh, because that, because of her promulgation, yes. So I, I guess I, I I didn't know where we were in the formation of the super constitution, but this meeting clarified it. Like, hey, we've set them on the course to do this. We've given them the timeline, but you know what? We we forgot to tell them to elect three people. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's why they said we'd better set up the clear cut, realistic procedure for materializing the global government. <laughs> it's like you you pointed your death ray and you went, all right, everybody. Uh, what are we going to have them do again? <laughs> it is. It's like leaving. But they they say it as if it's you know we we forgot to tell the uh, the the pet sitter you know how often they've got to drop in an algae tablet into the fish tank like we told them all the other stuff but then that was the uh, we gotta we gotta call them and tell them that little uh, little detail. Oh, uh, but this is this is when we get down to the promulgations and then the timelines for them. Uh-huh. Did you? I, I have not put this together. Uh, in in parentheticals, the second promulgation, parentheses, parentheses, given on August 5th, 2016. So then you're like scrolling back. Wait. Oh, the second order was June 7th. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a list of dates and which page it's on. Yeah. Did you, did you follow the timeline? I did not. I didn't follow it all. And we make fun of him because one of the major innovations that Charles Kim brings to the art of uh, novels and storytelling here is referring back to other pages in his in parentheticals. Um, so he'll often say, oh, he, here's one right above that. 
uh, on August 5th, 2016, with only her fifth appearance, Brenda appeared in the Office of Communication with the second promulgation, page 96. And then it says, according to the first promulgation, page 129. I'm not sure how the first one comes after the second one here. But we make fun of that because it's very stupid. But then again, if they had had that in, you know, the Game of Thrones books, it could could be a handy way of, of... you know, making sure you didn't forget stuff in a long book that you're going to be reading over the course of many weeks, if not months. Oh, that's true. Like when I read, I sometimes will try to muscle through a Russian novel and famously there's many, many characters and then it'll be 40 pages till you hear from them. And then you're like, who's this again? (laughs) And you don't, you know, you know, unless you circled it and put a note, you know, you don't remember. So it'd be great to just go, remember 40 pages ago, look him up and that'd be great. It's it's, yeah. And also, the challenge of editing this, too, uh, you have to tip your hat to, because he must have had all these things marked with, like, you know, page TK, like, to come, and then once he had actually laid everything out, he would have had to go back and insert all these references. So, uh, quite a feat in itself. So, maybe that was his sort of test for himself in terms of, like, all right, if I can handle this, inserting all these page references back to pages, then I could handle running the world government as, you know, <laughs> Ms. O'Hara. As he sat in his uh, intricately made cabin in the woods, carving <laughs> tiny boxes, decorative boxes, uh, adding to his, don't call it a manifesto, yes. please, his thesis. Novel. Uh, this, is yes. a, this is an extremely powerful paragraph. I've just got to read it because it's, it's just a, some distilled Charles Kim. The date of August 15th would be an epoch-making event of the human history. It would be the date of human rebirth. The news spread all over the world. People were much too excited. The powerful nation's major politicians became nervous. The mass media incited wild speculations. The top brass and bureaucrats underwent brainstorming. Professionals felt prideful. Crony capitalists trembled with trepidation. Dictators tried to bury their heads in the sand. The second promulgation promulgation once again agitated the earth. So the second promulgation, I I don't even remember what it was, but that's uh, that's the effect it had here. (laughs) I think the second promulgation was nominate three guys. Yes, I I had the same thought. It it would be the date of human rebirth. (laughs) So some... Middle management technocrat over in the Hague, like they uh, mention his name on the radio, and it's the rebirth of human history. <laughs> when what we need here, I think, you know, something that's a, a a really good aspect of Stephen King's The Stand is as the you know plague envelops the earth, he just gives like probably twenty pages of just little slices of life of like how this affected your average Joe. There's like a guy who gets trapped in a walk-in cooler. Um, there's just you know, stuff like that. And what we need is just how some, uh, you know, at your average dipshit in, you know, central California is, you know, trembling as the date of human rebirth. He's probably just going about his day, you know, <laughs> gassing up his right. motorcycle being like, you know, why is everyone sort of like going nuts here? Like, yeah, I don't know. I've got a, I've got beer to drink type of thing. It really probably didn't affect every human on the planet the way he's insinuating here. Right. Yeah, I heard something about it, but, you know, still got to put food on the table. Yeah, I'm not super into politics. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So then uh, things get, you'll have to pardon us, things get kind of dry at parts, and then I I sort of drift off. So uh, There's a lot to gloss over here, but the the main, I think the main takeaway from here is that um, 
This is the uh, president of Russia, Giorgio Provonsky, opens his mouth with a, a grim face and announces their nominations are, my country's president decided to nominate me for global president, uh, the present chief justice for global chief justice, and the present congressional chairperson as candidate for the global congressional chairperson. So they've just decided to take everyone who's currently in their roles and nominate them for the for the global roles. So some bold outside the box thinking. Yes, and and this is a repeated beat, of course. Yes, this we, is the first time I saw it. I was like, what is? Why is that a big deal? Like, of course. And then you realize that this is a uh, a thing he's going to touch back on again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to. You read it already. I want to offer that as a physical challenge. I know that's tough <laughs> on a podcast, but. Uh, if all of you out there listening could just try it, I'd appreciate it. Giorgio opened his mouth with a grim face. So I'm trying. I'm doing it now. Yeah. I'm sort of like okay. squinting. Yeah. Like kind of like I'm doing. Um, yeah. I'm doing Clint Eastwood, like staring down his, uh, you know, his pistol or something. And then, and then I'm going to open my mouth. <laughs> I'm sort it's of, not easy. I'm sort of, yeah. You, gritting easy. your teeth with an open mouth is hard. Like that's, and yeah. you, you got to lean into the squint, I think, to really sell it. Otherwise you look like an idiot. Yeah, your lips become very thin. You you start to look like uh, Kenneth Branagh as you open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like I like this thing because this really you know we've recent events I think have proved this true. Uh, it says irri- they they're reluctant to irritate Miss O'Hara because it says irritating O'Hara could trigger the killing power, and once the killing power would set in motion, hard feeling would result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you, you you look back on the various horrific events of terrorism that have happened in our lifetimes. There was a lot of hard feelings that resulted from uh, from them. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, that that hotel Rwanda, let it go, guys. No hard feelings, right? <laughs> and then uh, on the same note, it says uh, by contacting uh, the, the, the troika tries to pick the right people by contracting experts in the management for human resources. And the Troika gave them a stern warning to keep confidential on their contract. So they, you know, they tell them, they give them a stern warning that, hey, if you break this confidentiality, we're going to use the death ray and there'll be some hard feelings. So yeah, we don't want that to yeah. happen. Yeah. And, and they, they try to make it uh, clear to them. And here, this, this paragraph should clear it up. These ambassadors concluded that they should do their best to convey Miss O'Hara's orders and three nations' intentions clearly in black and white. How? By authenticating the chronology and topics. <laughs> so, I don't know how I could be any clearer sure. than that. <laughs> well, that's just sort of the, uh, that that's their, uh, when they realized that they needed to provide a plan for all of this, that was what they came up with. They need to authenticate chronologies and topics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, like your your generic placeholder text on the website of anyone who provides corporate solutions and you know synergy uh circling back to yeah you've got the uh you know the clip art of people uh with their sleeves rolled up yeah. looking at papers and you know <laughs> the people in the background are walking with purpose uh we're a company that can authenticate the chronology and topics like all right uh so here we get into something that we we discussed uh offline before this but 
It says, the Troika discussed the matter of bureaucracy with Michael Lee the other day. Michael Lee is daddy, of course. They concluded, after long hours of discussion, that they would have to employ a cruel, crushing force to break up the ordinary concepts of the human mind (laughs) in order to create a new world order by the super-constitution. The crushing force the Troika was going to employ meant mass killing (laughs) to demonstrate... The detonation of the super constitution to the political institute. Uh, and then it goes on to say, uh, well, other, uh, otherwise, they would face a snap judgment to be executed without a court of appeal. <laughs> the good guys, then. <laughs> I just, I, I, I looked up the, uh, the classic sketch of, uh, are, are we the baddies? Which is the, yes. the Nazis being like, hey, well, we have skulls on, our, on all our uniforms. Is that, are we the bad guys in this situation? Like, talking about mass killings without a court of appeal. Like, that's super amazing. villain. Like, might even think that's yes. going too far. I immediately thought just that language that, of the first part of that of uh, 1984, with Richard Burton, you know, strapped John Hurt to a table and is pulling out his rotted teeth one by one and yeah. telling him about what Big Brother demands of him. <laughs> Big Brother would have to employ a cruel crushing force to break up the ordinary <laughs> concepts of the human mind, Winston. <laughs> <laughs> Just the absolute demon. Yes. So I wonder, like, when they were like, we're going to employ a crushing force. And someone was like, well... Can it be cruel? Like, it's like, come on, sea lion. Like, it's not, the cruelness is implied by just using a crushing force to break up the ordinary concepts of the human mind. I think we should really specify it, that it has to be cruel. The sea lion gave his idea, and then they had to wait 20 minutes for him to resurface. It's like, you know what? It should be cruel. Yes. Look, if I don't do this, like, my lungs are going to lose the capacity. And if I can hold my breath for only 17 minutes, like... I'm not even the sea lion anymore. So, <laughs> uh, and then they think in the in the middle of this, just to, it's a bunch of the gobbledygook. The whole world would go through the throes of revolution until a certain length of time for the new order settlement. <laughs> so that's just sort of written into the that's baked in the cake. Like, you know, the oven will explode and fire will burn your kitchen down, but. Uh, you know, then eventually you'll get everything together and right. you'll uh, finish that recipe. So, just a, yeah. a mere formality. Throws of revolution. Are we talking, you know, executions in the street? You know, by people, not by us, the, the leaders. Like, or are we talking, you know, mass starvation and food shortages? Like, what are we, those things all sort of tend to go along with revolution, I feel like. So they're just like, you're going to get that, but, uh, you know. Until the new order's settlement. <laughs> I don't know what. I like this because it's uh, it's classic Doge speak, like the dog who uh, has his own coin. It says, uh, there was only about a week left. People were so much curious about the candidates. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, here's what they were curious about. Who would be the global president? Who would be the global justice? Who would be the global congressional leaders? How would they manage the world's powerful nations? How would they organize the new world? How would they organize, control their military powers? These are all good questions, mm-hmm. of course. And then, how would they lullaby people in the world? <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> or, uh, huh? That, that comes right after, how would they control the gargantuan military, military powers? powers. <laughs> what does he... He can't mean what it means on its face, of course. Uh, which is what? It, how would they... I know, I, 
I don't know. I guess how would they go into every Soothe bedroom in the world? And, I guess. <laughs> well, I, you but, might say that my 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 needing to know what that means, my inquisitive sense on that topic, torturously soared to the sky. That's uh, oh, lots of soaring to the skies in this uh, section, for sure. Uh, but he this he hasn't done this until now. And like you said, with the Stephen King, you know, getting just that kind of slice of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of TV shows that are premised upon this of like, what if, you know, the zombie apocalypse was real and suddenly we have 15 years of a TV show, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, what if it was actually a real thing? Let's use real people. This guy really captures Joe Sixpack and the man <laughs> in the street in these dialogues. Yeah. And um, I don't know, they're not short, but I wonder if we should... Just go through them. I think so. Give, give people a flavor of of what's going on here. I think so. There's so there's such an outlier from the rest of the book that I think it's worth doing. Would you like to be Jenny or Mary in this one? Um, I'll be uh, uh, I'll be Jenny. Okay. Jenny, what do you think about August fifteenth? Well, I think it'll be very interesting to see if it's a big joke on the big shots. <laughs> you really think the hearing is going to be a big joke? <sighs> yes. I do, Mary. Uh, but, Jenny, I think it's a great idea to put the world under one constitution. <laughs> I mean, of course, it's a great wonder, but how could it be done? The human mind is so complicated. Human destiny is unpredictable. Humans are much too egotistic, greedy, timid, and sneaky. Jenny, you only see the bad side? Of course, we have a negative side in the human life. But we have geniuses, engineering minds, consciousness, and honest, hard-working people. I am sure August 15th will be a turning point for humans on the positive side. Yeah, just light foam on that coffee. Just light foam, and then I'll have one of the bagels. Well, Mary, I hope you're right. But frankly speaking, I worry about Miss O'Hara's fault or mistake or bad happening in the mysterious technology. Jenny, I worry too. And see. <laughs> so, that, wow. so that is, yeah, his Joe six-pack. Because everyone else in the world is a PhD from a Ivy League or like Ivy League adjacent university. And so that's just what the two ladies are doing as they yeah wait in line for their coffee. Yeah. Anyone who is hoping to be a part of this, you know, which I can't even imagine the scramble to get these positions of, you know, unbelievable power. Um, they have to have like multiple degrees. And they have to have worked in, you know, worked at the Hague or something, done some sort of <laughs> governmental or, you know, have a master's degree yeah. in town city planning or whatever. Um, so this it's just interesting to get just, again, Joe Sixpack. And the next one really captures it. <laughs> Would uh, you like to be Tom or the unnamed man? Uh, Bob. Bob. Oh, is Bob named? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it I'll, is. There I'll it be, is. Sorry. I'll be yeah. uh, Bob. Okay. Uh, Tom, what do you think about August 15th? I'm sure a great marvelous thing is going to happen. I'd like to experience a complete change of the world order. Uh, maybe a change could go, but Tom, I don't think utopia can happen as Miss O'Hara wants. Bob, I think utopia can happen. Mm. Human beings are political animals. Politics <laughs> resembles an organism. Politics composes, after all. Ooh, that's good. A group of interdependent people sharing same purpose or idea for life processes. Animals stand for living things, which fear of death the most. 
Animals know most clearly what the death remarks. I hope that was clear. <laughs> Animals have the most sensitive instinct on their death. Therefore, Miss O'Hara's absolute technology to annihilate any living thing anytime, anywhere would dispatch her order at full gallop. Uh, looks like the uh, chiefs are going for two. Uh, Tom! Your chilligism, chilligism sounds likely, however, carrying a theory into practice is not that simple. Unexpected hurdles come into life all the time. History weaves in and out. Uncontrollable curves carve out human fate. Tom, I really hope Miss O'Hara's new order could speed up like a plumped sailboat. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this sandwich looks good. I'll tuck in in a minute. I know what bothers your mind. Tom... Let's drink just one punch more. It is none of our business. Anyway, we're just onlookers. Of course, Bob. We're not the player, not the sided spectator either. However, I can't help but be really concerned. Tom, you're right. I am definitely concerned, too. All right, I gotta go drop the kids off at the pool. I Okay, well, I'm going to finish my punch. <laughs> so I didn't realize we were drinking punch. Yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was whiskey. He did say they were sipping whiskey at his neighbor's bar. Uh, one, that was one guy talking to his buddy while sipping whiskey at his neighbor's bar. That's a very uh, how-do-you-do, fellow blue-collar gentleman uh, type of moment. From yes. <laughs> I got into the cab, and the cab driver immediately said, I don't understand this super constitution. Yeah. Or like the mom on an Arrested Development. Well, what do blue-collar people drink, Michael? Punch at their neighbor's bar? Like, <laughs> Oh, amazing. Those things were a rare treat in the middle of, you know, pages of actually putting together a super constitution. <laughs> um, so after that, it goes on to some, a lot more like, what's it called, just gobbledygook as you said uh going forward to this but then it sort of gets to the part where the presidents of the three countries are going to present their nominees who we already know who they're going to be so this sort of comes as a as a letdown here do you have anything before then um i just have this is a i don't know whether to give him a settle down grandpa on this uh with the second hearing of the super constitution, the world's nations would not feel any knock-off effect just because of a word of the global government. The global government had not opened its package. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know if he meant. I don't know what he's talking about. There. Yeah, justice is blind, but he's packing heat down there. So, <laughs> yes. um. uh, so. As they announce that they are just nominating all their same people. So I guess what we're meant to think here is like these nations think that they can like pull a fast one on the Troika or Miss O'Hara by just letting the status quo move forward. And obviously what they want is for a new ruling class to, to take over the world government. Um, it says people of the world went through dumbfounded and stood aghast at the same announcement followed on by the U.S. and China's ambassadors. The U.N. General Assembly Hall and the whole world paused in dead silence. <laughs> so I, at the, I was imagining uh, Bob or Tom as they're like taking a leak in their buddy's bar, like belting into like a line of Bob Seger and not realizing that the whole, rest of the whole world has fallen into a dead silence here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just take uh, but... those old records off. The... Whoa, <laughs> no, that's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, th this is a, uh, they think that this is a misstep. And then they, we get this line, the super constitution momentarily looked like committing a misstep. And I just thought, hey, 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 don't say that. The people forcing it on the world through threats of mass violence went to college for crying out loud. Don't, don't insult the super constitution just because these jackholes are doing this. Yeah, really. It's, it, the the follow-up sentence to that is good, too. The three powers showed off their gargantuan bureaucratic monster. So that's that sort of seems to be what his problem is here. Like you, you have too much bureaucracy is the problem. Not that I'm uh, forcing you to make it into a new bureaucracy under threat of my killing wave. Yes. Uh, so the solution is it of it is, um, and you know, after all, nobody could ask a cat to protect the fish in the fishbowl. Well, duh. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh, it's time for Miss O'Hara to appear again. Mm-hmm. And she to promulgate, the, to promulgate, to promulgate one more time. She says a very curious thing at the opening of it, okay. which I didn't realize that this was part of it. She says, my fellow citizens of Earth, I am glad to come here tonight to deliver the name of the president of global government. She's a citizen of the Earth. Yeah, very interesting. A misstep? Was this a, a mistake where you're like, well, I, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if she's sort of acting as if she is on the Earth. We don't know that, or broadcasting from 21 light years away. But, you know, that's the sort of thing that in today's environment, the like Reddit sleuths would be like, A big misstep here. Like, here's where, you know, here's proof that this is actually a, you know, a elementary school teacher from Ohio. Let's go to her house. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it reminded me exactly of, uh, for our feature film, we did This Island Earth where these aliens come down and I think they're, you know, benevolent. I, I assume that's what Charles Kim is getting at too, but uh, they're benevolent, but they have giant foreheads and they're obviously <laughs> alien and they're sitting around a table listening to Mozart and the, uh, the head alien goes, Oh, your composer Mozart really is remarkable. And the, the big chinned hero goes, Oh, composer, he belongs to the world. And he's like, of course, Doctor. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> Your composer. <laughs> so that's what she did here, my fellow citizens of Earth. Well, I mean, I mean. Yeah, and right out of the gate, too. So yes. maybe it was like a teleprompter mistake. The sea lion like typed the wrong thing in, wrong burgundy right. style. But also you have to assume that the entire world has already gone like slack-jawed and are like beating on the table with their shoe because the, uh, the alien avatar who mostly resembles a Caucasian, is so sexy. Right. Um, so what she does here is she's like, all right, all three of you nations tried to nominate people for these positions. You all blew it by just trying to stick with what had been working for you before, which is not what we wanted. So she says, I am going to give the inauguration schedule to the global president. My fellow citizens, the name of the president is Mr. George Kirkman. My dear Mr. George <laughs> Kirkman, please stand up. <laughs> you are now president of the world <laughs> and i had to look you know because there's been you know there's been a, a bunch of names not antigua level or anything not quilters level but you know enough that you would think oh has this guy been mentioned before is this daddy is this whatever nope this is the first mention of mr George yeah. Kirkman. <laughs> <laughs> we and we only get uh the description of him after the fact always one of my favorite uh, writing things uh -huh. we learn these kind of he's I, I don't know he's sort of young and He's in his mid-30s, you know, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of with it. Uh, he was a young man. He 
Yeah, he turned around 360 degrees to greet all audiences, lifting his two arms high and <laughs> smiling a big smile. So it was just good to know that he, he didn't have an extra, nor did he yes. la- lack an arm that was pulled <laughs> off in any farm equipment. Lifting his two arms. <laughs> yeah, so he's essentially just doing the, like, you know, standing up, like, giving some finger guns, probably, like, maybe raising sure. the roof, like, <laughs> as in the middle of the uh, UN General Assembly Hall. And it says, so his the, the way that everyone else in the hall responds to that is, people of the UN General Assembly Hall looked frozen for a moment and kept themselves quiet. People were stunned. There was no clapping, no whispering either. So extremely awkward for George Kirkman, who then has has to sort of like, you know, you know, adjust his tie and just sit back into his seat as nobody applauds for him as he does that. Tugs his collar. Oh, tough room. Tough room. <laughs> Look, I did not know this was coming either. I just have got to roll with it because, as you may have heard, they've got a bit of a killing power. Reaches be kind of behind him and scoots his two uh, adoring children in front of him, kind of like. Hey. <laughs> uh, but it it goes on to explain several pages later who they who this guy is and why they picked him, which is pretty interesting. It says he's thirty six, born in nineteen eighty in Austin, Texas, one of outstanding geniuses in the world. Had skipped over four years through his junior and senior years of high school, in college, and in graduate courses, one year each. So, uh, I mean, this is like the, what, fifth character who's skipped over time in, in their college or high school. We've got to look up because that seems like something that has to be in our author's background as well. It has to be. <laughs> Absolutely has to be. Uh, great parentheticals in one sentence in his uh, little bio, uh-huh. especially U Penn's parentheses, University of Pennsylvania State. <laughs> Gifted young professor George Kirkman emerges as a gem Troika found through the HR, human resources. <laughs> <In parentheses. laughs> Good. Thank you for clarifying. Especially because University of Pennsylvania is, in fact, quite distinct from Penn State. Like, those are yes. two, two colleges that are far apart from each other. And it says he got his Ph.D. degree at UPenn, so another Ivy League Ph.D., in mathematical economics on the subject of, you know, you may want to try to catch your breath here, hypothetical marginal effects of various social dynamisms of current economic affairs induced by algebra. (laughs) (laughs) So he's just been made, uh, just an absolute, like, math nerd has been made, you know, world president here. But that sounds exactly like one of those, you know, fake white papers that they get through just to prove how oh, yeah. incredibly flawed the system is. <laughs> like, just come up with gobbledygook, <laughs> put it in white paper, get it peer-reviewed and published, and uh, and then go, ha-ha, you idiots. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was written by a, a chimpanzee or something. He was one of the credited authors. And then it does go on because... There's a little bit more in uh, in George Kirkman's background than just this Ph.D. in hypothetical marginal effects. It says the Troika was impressed not only by George Kirkman's outstanding scholastic point, but also his hidden ambitions expressed in his unpublished book. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you had another word to uh, describe an unpublished book, it could easily be manifesto. But <laughs> it says the book talked about a modern version of Plato's Republic, one of classic books written by the Greek philosopher Plato. <laughs> thank you for that clarification. 2,400 years ago. Uh, and it says George Kirkman's idea identified with the Troika's. Uh, the only difference between Troika and Kirkman's book was that 
it did not present any of the technology the Troika invented. So it was lacking uh, killing Ray. Uh, it was the only, the only major difference between the, him and what they wanted them to do. So it's, it's really a coincidence just as much as the, uh, the hidden man or the, remember the guy who issued the, or the suitcase bomber? Yes, the, the guy who nuked Rome. Yes, he, he had this exact same ideas. <laughs> they're, they're like, but he only had a suitcase yeah. bomb as opposed to the killing ray. And this guy has the same ideas, but he doesn't even have a suitcase bomb. Yeah, but we presume he just hadn't got to it yet. They're like, should we I, nominate I that so. guy who we never caught that nuked Rome? It's like, nah, the, the shine has come off him a little bit since the three million dead type of thing. We got to find a, another guy. He's, he's a bit tarnished. <laughs> Uh, for the position of mini- military minister, uh, which, why do we need one? It's utopia, right? Sure, we should, right. shouldn't have to have one. We're a one nation. Uh, George Kirkman uh, hired Dr. Wang Yenji. Okay. Uh, was a Harvard guy. A lot, of, a lot of Harvard and, uh, yeah. Uh, but his memory power exerted an extraordinary capacity to contain 5,000 people's names for several months after reading it two times and learning it by heart. <laughs> so he's one of those guys that, you know, in 1982 would go on The Tonight Show and, mm-hmm. you know, like memorize the entire audience's G- name. Give me your zip code. I'll tell you where you're from. <laughs> yeah. But also, so he, he sort of cages. He, he has to read it two times? That's amateur hour. Yes, and then learn it by heart after reading it two times. Right. I, and like, so once again, another Harvard PhD. I just was like, I need one cabinet member or someone here who's just like, you know, the person that you beat in the primary. So you like offer them a cabinet position as a, you know, a sop to their, you know, concession type of thing. Or just a loser son-in-law. Like, we need some of those, like, just to, to, to round out this body here. You can't have everyone just be extraordinary superhumans. It is. This is where it gets into. This is obviously Charles Kim's uh, thing. Like, have you ever known, like, an older person who's way too into the, uh, like, sports or something where they're like, that guy, man, you seen the arms on that dude? Like, he's just, <laughs> right. it's like, settle down, settle down. He's yeah. an athlete. They're all, this guy, he's just, like, obsessed with people having degrees. Like, God, that guy's hot because he's got, like, <laughs> two degrees. From... Yeah. And it's never, like, you know, he, he started out, uh, he was in the stock room, and he ended up owning three companies. And mm-hmm. then he built a university and uh, and then he a hospital overseas. Like right. hire that guy. Nope, it's just like... he, w- he wasn't the brightest guy, but like just worked eighteen hour days. Like always had a kind word for everybody. So he was just you know climbed up through you know sheer personality and 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 <laughs> type of thing. Did you skip four years of college? No, I did not, sir. Get the hell out of my yeah, office. Still paying my loans off, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's a good one. Uh, it goes on to talk about more uh, PhDs from Stanford and, uh, you know, Dr. Yono, who is world history at University of Tokyo. But the most controversial and forward-moving sociologist in Germany, Dr. Wolfgang Thierse, taught at University of Bonn. He was favored by George Kirkman and picked up for the post of Ministry of Sociology for the global government. Why is he controversial? What is what it doesn't say moves on. <laughs> yes. I, I puzzled that for a minute. I'm like, uh, is it the German controversial thing? Ger- German sociologist? <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what sort of controversial stands does he favor? Yes. Uh, Charles Kim goes to great lengths. No, I don't find him controversial. I just uh, a lot of other people who don't have PhDs, by the way, think that he is. <laughs> 
Uh, that's uh, that's Article Nine. That's, at least that's oh, all. Article I, uh, Nine, insane. All right. Um, yeah, that's they it goes on to say that the inauguration of the global president is going to be August twenty fifth. So again, if you're if you're tracking these dates, uh, a lot has happened probably in the uh, you know month or so that they've introduced this thing. So um, I think the promulgation started in June, and by August we're in we're <laughs> inaugurating our global president. Yeah, it did. It put me in mind of the uh, you know the guns of August, you know nineteen fourteen. Uh, that it all happened in August. Huh. Suddenly, uh, World a, a, War One breaking out. W- World War One breaking out, and everyone on August first was like, "Ooh, there's not much time for this to settle." And then by the end of August, the cannons were going off. Like <laughs> this is what it reminded me of. Newspapers and a lot of it was posting wood yeah. carvings of uh, Ron Burgundy saying that escalated quickly on their front page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but it was uh, a lot of it was because everyone was just on vacation. Wow. Which, you know, Europe just goes on vacation. So it was like, ah, I can't reach him. So <laughs> guess we got to invade one, that country. Yep. <laughs> yeah. well, get in the trenches, anyway. son. Yes. Uh, that's Article 9. Article 10 sort of starts off with a <laughs> another appearance from Mrs. O'Hara. Uh, it, it sort of emphasizes that everyone's going along with just because there's the crushing force of the killing wave um, to dominate the decision-making process. But again, they haven't demonstrated it yet. Um, But then it goes on to say that George Kirkman is young, charismatic, conspicuously talented, energetically ambitious, came suddenly forward to the world from obscurity, armed with Miss O'Hara's blessing. He communicated with Miss O'Hara long hours. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if they're going to be... you know, inducting him into the Troika's ways here. Or, I mean, I guess the Troika isn't even known to George Kirkman at this point in time. He's just, uh, you know, he's communicating solely through Miss O'Hara. Well, uh, he's not that smart then, is he? He doesn't <laughs> smell a rat anywhere with that global wealth fellow citizen bullshit. Uh, but so they quickly get into this thing of making the equipment, which he's been pretty vague about. They hung it in a tree in Joshua, Joshua tree, tree or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just an antenna that they taped to a, an actual Joshua tree, I think. Um, but they make new portable gadgets for uh, the president and his, you know, some other people. Uh, but it reminded me of like a serial from the 40s or something where like radar, eh? <laughs> yes, now we've got it in our car. We can track that guy with radar. Like <laughs> yes. they, just, they just say that they have these things. Uh, but this is very funny. It says, so he gives George Kirkman... Uh, the portable new gadgetry consisted of two equipments and uh, had limited capacity in distance without a killing wave. So it was like the Google Pixel A series of the... <laughs> yes, right. It had a lot, a lot of the goodies, but yeah. we're just going to strip down. We're not going to put the killing power in this one. The, that would jack the price up. The and, first uh, iPhone yeah. didn't have copy-paste yet, so you needed to... Uh, <laughs> right. yeah. But you still, early adopters wanted it. <laughs> Yeah, that was amazing. So I don't know how they, who, who is wiring that? Like, I guess that's, you know, is that easy to do to just like, well, just make one of your things and then just, you know, take that screw out so that the killing wave is. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if they have, they, I feel like they maybe touched on or maybe we discuss, discuss the, 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 who they have in their employ here. Like, do they have scientists who are sort of manufacturing this stuff because it can't be the troika doing all of this they have the just oblivious people who don't know they're working for a supervillain in, in a lab or something that daddy is is financing oh you mean at the at the company like so yeah, they would out they west. say could you make one of these things uh for the cancer research or whatever <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> right. but don't cancer put in the 
don't put in the cancer killing portion of that. Like, how do they, how do they get their staff to make it without other questions being raised? Right. Yeah. Do so this, making, or we'll uh, kill you with the killing wave. Right. So I'm making the uh, the uh, uh, telethon four thousand series. Yes. Yes. But uh, again, take out the killing wave. Wait. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what do we call it in-house? I forget what we call yeah, it. Yeah, Project Raspberry. <laughs> yes, take that out. Oh, okay. Here's a good, uh, good backpacking on that. Is, uh, they were dazzled. They felt they acquired millions in army manpower to expedite the governing ability. Now they felt they had a divine authority to materialize their idea. So <laughs> they, That never they, ends poorly. They think they can kill at will, so they think they're God. What could go wrong? The divine wind is at our back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what could go wrong? Um, and essentially what they do is they, they grant uh, President George Kirkman a uh, global surveillance capability. You can eavesdrop on anyone with a, within a thousand mile radius and you can check any place on the, on, uh, within a 50 mile radius to like visually observe them, I guess, through these yes, and, gadgets. Uh, and this is what I mean about our author being an absolute monster. He, there is no any moral qualms about a, a all-powerful government being able to eavesdrop on anyone at any time is <laughs> never even brought up as a thing. Yeah. It's just uh, uh, everyone is excited about the global government and its ability at any time to spy on you anywhere. Right. And, you know, any sort of... The easiest possible way that occurred to you would be like, you have three people, have one of them just be voicing these concerns and have the other people, you know, give your justification for overriding it. But they're all just <laughs> on board from the start, like happily, you know, introducing this and then going off to bang each other. So, <laughs> And uh, so Kirkman recruits this uh, Yono character. Yono, yep. And uh, he says, uh, the nations are too big. We have to divide the big countries and to unify some of the small countries. Yeah. Again, all, always turns out well. <laughs> Dr. Yono, I assume, again, he's sort of leaning back in his chair, you know, chewing on a, a pencil, yeah. just casually. Dr. But, Yono, could you draw up the detailed blueprint and discuss with me before we talk to Miss O'Hara? And then drops his chair back down, and Dr. Yono says, sure, no problem. It's my pleasure. Used to dream of that idea pretty often. <laughs> Good God, right. who are these people? <laughs> Used to dream of dividing big countries and unifying small countries. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh I don't God. know, man. The rest of us were just dreaming about Brenda Chen, but, uh, you know, go <laughs> ahead with that. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, he does treat it as just the most normal thing. You've you've been given absolute power and everyone is like, yep, well, we all know what we'll do with that. <laughs> they all have the same idea. And then what he goes on to do is he says, Dr. Toro Yono squeezed out his extraordinarily gifted <laughs> talent day and night in order to instantaneously draw up a magnificent master plan able to impress people of all walks of life according to his long thought idea without any hesitation. So he essentially he, he comes up with this uh, plan to divide up nations very quickly. And I was like, you got to at least, you know, take a couple of weeks here so that people think you put some thought into it, you know? <laughs> Like, you know, yeah, I'll bang it out over lunch. Like, it's like, no, well, you know, maybe give, give people something that they at least think is going to work here. As you, you know, build a wall, a gigantic wall right down the middle of a, you know, ethnic and cultural and sociological <laughs> group. 
Like, yeah, I knocked this off while I was on the can. Yes, it's pretty amazing. But he has been dreaming about it a long time, so maybe he just had all the thoughts ready to go once called into action. Yes. Uh, and this is a, a problem that comes up when you do design a, uh, uh, you know, an all-powerful government is limit intelli- limited intelligent grip of average guys, <laughs> a stupid inertia of mindset, egoistic and sticky interest of headlong and headstrong majority people, bureaucratic knots and mob psychology would pitch a camp on the way. How are you guys going to sweep away those monstrous lumps? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't really even have any words for that. I yeah. just wanted to read that. It's uh, a little bit of a negative Nelly there. That's James Lee uh, speaking those uh, monstrous lumps talk there. But I guess that is what happens there. Like I said just a minute ago, like he sort of voices the, uh, are we doing too much too fast here? And then their response is just, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yono knocked together a thing. We're all pretty excited yeah. about it. Uh, those, let's, let's those lumps are not me. so monstrous. Come on. No. When you look at him from this angle, they, they do say like, hey, um, you know, you make good points, James. But remember, we have the killing wave. <laughs> it says we have already talked about crushing force several times in order for the people involved to acknowledge the downright upshot of their negligence. Of course, we must try our best to minimize the killing. But then again, always good uh, three words to follow, minimize the killing. But then again, we must make our determination visible, final, and absolute. <laughs> and then like, oh, hey, the, uh, the pizza's here. Come on, bring them in. Come on. <laughs> uh, banging a shoe on the counter, you know, the nail that sticks up will be pounded down. <laughs> you guys got any problem with that? No, I don't see yeah, any that issue. that sounds good. Yeah, I, I retract <laughs> my monstrous lump statement. That's... Uh... <laughs> Uh, so essentially they announce the Yono plan, which is the, um, the, the rebordering of every nation type of thing. They first yeah. tell it to China and it says it literally shattered the iron shell of Chinese awesome Politburo, which was composed of nine supreme political decision makers. Um, and this, this is how they describe sort of how this has what happens once they've literally shattered the shell. Hot potatoes were thrown into the hands of China's Politburo, and the nine members stood on a hot tin roof. <laughs> so that's a, uh, there's a good AI image for you there. The members of the Chinese Politburo are on a hot tin roof trying to catch hot potatoes as they're thrown to them. So things are a bit hot is what I'm gathering here. Well, it, it goes on. The Politburo members conducted heated debates. <laughs> the government of Beijing was virtually placed into a boiling pot. <laughs> <laughs> so unlike the literal shattering of the uh, iron shell of the Politburo, uh, they were virtually placed into a boiling pot. Like, <laughs> So that's that's another uh, Antigua speak there, like four different hot things in the span of three sentences. Oh, and then I didn't even notice. Uh, inside the closed doors of Politburo's office, hot debates had boiled up. Wow. One after another. Wow. Nellie's hot so in her was- plays as this all goes down in the montage. He was obviously making macaroni and cheese at the time and keeping an eye on it. (laughs) He was just like, God, I need my super to turn up the AC. This is getting unbearable in August here. Uh, So it goes on to uh, describe the Politburo essential bureau, Politburo. They're saying, um, hey, like we've got to go along with this. We've got to redraw our borders because otherwise the they're going to, you know, killing wave us. And uh, <laughs> everyone seems okay with that. And then one guy comes and says, hey, guys, uh, 
in, in, at this display of heated desperation, by the way, mm-hmm. he says, the killing wave has not been tested yet. We have not seen the horrible destructive power of the killing wave. Miss O'Hara, I guess, cannot and will not dare to exhibit a cruel bloodshed to the world. Our country has 3,000 years of written history, the most integrated race and culture, and the most distinguished national territory. If our country were divided into 20 nations, a bewailing fate would wrap us forever. We have to fight, resist, and at least try not to compromise, to try to compromise something. And then someone else says, we would rather better die rather than we would witness our country sinking. I am willing to sacrifice my personal life to preserve our country's integrity. And a couple of the people say that. And then <laughs> one guy comes and says, our yield to the killing wave only indicates we are cowards and moronic schizophrenias and merely proves we are wise guys or turncoats. And then essentially they're like, yeah, but, you know, they do have a killing wave, so, you know, we've got to do what they say. Right, that's when the uh, the compromise is written, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great moment. Yeah, uh, everyone gets up and gives big speeches about how there's no way, you know, this and no further, sir. Yeah, um, live together you know, or die by suicide type of thing. Yeah, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death, <laughs> and then some guys... Yeah, it's true, but again, <laughs> here's how it plays out. So yeah, it's it's a lot of that actually. There's a lot of people saying like we must, you know, China, we've got to do this. And uh, China's integrity as a unit of national entity overwhelmingly outweighs any attempts to erase its great scene from the world stage. Dividing China will only magnify a terrible shame. It is going to surely reflect the greatest mistake in the human history. He paused for a moment and then continued. Unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) we are in facing the biggest tsunami wave and invisible technological power and the uncompromising globalization demand. Uh, We cannot fight against an invisible nemesis with our eyes blinded. So uh, unanimously assent to uh, dividing up into 20 different countries. Uh, The Spartacus moment followed immediately by. (laughs) However, you know. What what are are we going to do? Exactly. Yeah. Here hands I are tied here, you know. I'd love to preserve our, our yeah. three century, three millennia of independence and tradition, but but guys, I mean, come on. And so they do it, and then they make a compromise, which I wasn't really clear on what the compromise was. Got yeah, I, my my note was there's just a ton of things here. I think they say China provide uh, proposes to compromise, and they say no, um, essentially. Okay. Because he says, I'm going to prepare a general direction for that temporary measurement, which has to be moderated here and there. However, I'm going to set up a brand new concrete plan sooner or later. For all of China, is the point here. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to knock together a plan. Yeah. And I guess bring it to uh, Kirkman. You know, like, please have China, please have that plan on my desk. Yeah. Uh, you know, otherwise killing wave. Like, can we see the killing wave? No. That's really All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, the whole time I imagine Kirkman is, yeah, like you said before, leaning back in his chair, like tossing pencils into the, like the foam ceiling boards of the global white house or whatever. Like, yes. that slam for China looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot more notes. Uh, yeah. What, what does it say? The, uh. Beijing's government virtually has been suspended from action, emptied its function, kept silent, and formed into a complete inertia, a social phenomenon of a political demise. Like, let's see how that works out for them. Sounds, uh, sounds like they're off to a good start. And then it says, 
President Kirkman, the vacuum status of Beijing's government has created some big chaos, which every walk of life never imagined. It truly sounds a spectacular bang, which resonates all over the world. I cannot <laughs> figure it out how long the ripple effect is going to make that hair-raising uh, raising trip. And Kirkman responds. He tosses a pencil into the roof. Well, Dr. Yono, I guess you just have to work out the economic mode with Minister of Economics Dr. J. Kim, page 144. Dr. Kim, I think we have to give some clear guidance to the 20 nations of former China for economic activities on the matter of trade, customs, and migrations. You haven't done that or even prepared it? Oh, my God, we're all doomed. There's no guidelines at all about economic activities and trade, customs, or migrations. We've been banging. I don't understand what's your problem. <laughs> and then uh, I, Dr. Kim says, yeah, my plan would sweep all the garbage of the old regulations in the world trade, the old regulations which had been made only according to the interests of each nation's national niche, contradict each other and block a smooth natural flow of economic activities of the world people. So that's, you know, that to me, that sort of summarizes his, you know, high school civics understanding of utopia. Where it's like these all these all these regulations do is stand in our way and like natural trade. If nations didn't have their own interest at heart, they'd be able to trade better with each other. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> as what happens as soon as one of them decides they do want to act in their natural interest, then you've got a huge problem. And that's why you need a killing death ray from the 21st, you know, 21 light years away to have this whole thing hinge on, you know, otherwise it immediately falls apart, as you've seen time and time again. Yeah, as I think we said off air, uh, Charles Kim read Plato's Republic and then imagined that he himself had a death ray. That was the end of his, didn't need any more philosophizing other than that. Uh, there's a bunch of the metaphor mixing, you know, hot potatoes, hot roof, boiling kettle, um, you know, monstrous projects, but I have a piece of cake to handle that. <laughs> your confidence relieved my stress from the mud. I wish your plan strikes the bullseye. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah. It, you, there's one other one. Uh, Jay, uh, Jay, the, Jay Kim, I think, is the guy who's coming up with the yeah. economic plan for China. It says, uh, the dramatic emergence of the global government and the global government's handpick of Jay Kim as the Minister of Economics helped increase the level of Jay's serotonin, parentheses, a potent chemical that functions as a neuron transmitter, is located in the distinct regions of the brain and changes mental states by its concentration. An increase at the serotonin level enhances creative ideas, and an increase happens when a brain feels ecstasy or success. What the hell is going on there? <laughs> it's like something you read on the package of like the horny goat weed you buy at a gas station counter. <laughs> Did he uh, he put his line down and he felt, you know, and then he walked away. He ate his macaroni and cheese and went, I should probably explain what serotonin is. That's what was unclear in this chapter, not like soaring to the bullseye and uh, hot tin roofs here. <laughs> And, you know, uh, yes, and three instances of sword into the sky, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, the one that yes. comes as his serotonin level increases. Jay's morale soared into the sky to be able to see the earth as a ball. It's like, uh, it sounds like more like you took some ayahuasca or something. Like, that's <laughs> if that's your, what your finance minister is doing, that doesn't seem good. Oh, yeah, he's his vomiting will start soon. But right <laughs> now, he's soaring to the sky. <laughs> All right, well, that's the end of uh, Article 10. Uh, before Article 11, we can maybe move into some fan fiction. Is it real? Is it fake? Come on, separate. from the real. The jackal's gonna trick ya. 
So that was a song that was submitted by Hayden, a loyal jackal. And since we were uh, forced to stop using the enough about the flow fiction all up on it's that song we he he wrote yeah. that one for us and uh we will see what we use moving forward but we appreciate that gesture uh it's a you, you need a fan fiction song and uh he undertook the effort of, of creating one so appreciate it yeah <laughs> but this is the uh, beloved segments of real or fanfic where our listeners many of them are patreon supporters uh, patreon.com slash 372 pages uh, submit fanfic to try to trick you, and we are going to read passages that are either future uh, excerpts of Super Constitution or fanfic that they wrote. Patreon had some fun stuff. We I finally posted the video recap of our trip to uh, the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company uh, last week. Yes, that was that was awesome. It was uh, we we captured some some good moments. I would say there was a, a very surprising uh, trivia contest that happened to happen just as soon as our cameras were rolling and. You really, I think, got a good sense of the general, like, just sort of very much chain restaurant and a big mall vibe of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Very big mall. I hadn't been in a big mall for a while, especially not that big. The Mall (laughs) of America, one of the biggest. A a log flume just goes right past the entrance of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. It's, you know, (laughs) as far as malls go, that's great. You should be able to do that sort of stuff at a mall. But, uh, uh, yeah, And, and then Bob Fingerman sent us the picture we did not encounter this it would have i think it might have made our short nominated for oscar potential if this had happened but uh his friend at the new york times square bubba gum shrimp company saw the mascot they have which is just Mm -hmm. a horrific shrimp costume outside of it in like a top hat waving at people so if that had happened um we probably would have choked on our on our mediocre shrimp dish but also it would have been fantastic for the video we would have just folded the whole podcast mm-hmm. and said, we, we, we can't do we'll better. Top this. Anyway, so you go uh, patreon.com slash 372 pages to check that out. And here we go. Uh, real or fanfic? We're doing five of these. They're all potentially real, all potentially fanfic, or a combination of the two. Number one. Generally, according to the first principle, attempts at social reform either act in the direction in which society is developing in any case, parentheses, only to accelerate the changes that would have happened in any case, parentheses, closed, or otherwise had only temporary effects, that society will soon return to its former rut. Reform is lacking and a revolution is needed to permanently change the direction of development in an important part of society. According to the second principle, revolutions change society as a whole, not just one aspect of it. And according to the third principle, changes occur that revolutionaries never expected or desired. The fourth principle is that when revolutionaries or utopias build a new society, it never goes as planned, Brenda said. <laughs> <laughs> well, no matter what, that is that is good. Um, that is pure Charles Kim. But I am going to say just on a hunch that that's fanfic. All right. Number two. U.S. President John Garfield and his chief of staff, Edmund Murdoch, sat together face-to-face in the Oval Office to talk about the cocktail party that President Garfield proposed the other day. Eddie, what type of cocktail party do you suggest? Well, Mr. President, I have an idea for the best but small and cozy one I have been thinking about. What is it? Generally, I am thinking about a nice band of five or six best musicians in the country, along with top-notch singers, actors or actresses, and beauty queens and about 10 people from our office and another one dozen of guests from the global government. Actually, this party is to entertain the idea of revolutionary globalization of the global government under the name of the super constitution. (laughs) 
Well, is it a person trying to get me with the phrase top notch, which I only <laughs> apply to cheese puffs? <laughs> from um, a talking cat, yes. From a talking cat. I'm going to say fanfic. All right. Uh, number three. President Kirkman considered the above situation as a source of vulnerableness in his campaign for the constructive process of the globalization. The vulnerableness of the global government clearly appeared in his attempt to instill justification of the super constitution into the mind of the current American leaders. The vulnerableness definitely took place at this turning point as a monster. The transient torrent of unheard of power shift could torment the traditional leadership with suspicion and uncertainty. Also, breaking off the hard shell of their protection-minded instinct required, required a distinct impact of a dazzling force along with black and white logic. The lunchtime already passed. Kirkman offered the conference a break time to bite some ham and cheese sandwich, which he made an arrangement with the U.S. president the other day. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the sandwich? Uh, oh, boy. See, this is where it gets tricky. I, I'm just going to I'm going to say fanfic. OK. Uh, number four. The members of the ad hoc committee left the meeting with a pride and confidence in Miss Sequoia's touch-up of the subject. They had frequent admirations on her academic works and actual service in the field with soldiers. She was only a young 28-year-old woman, but she accumulated such fames attracting even young boys' and girls' attention. One of the members threw a casual query to his next guy. I am wondering how the hell that pretty girl can have a concept to conquer the world with her soft fist. The next guy quickly, the next guy quickly responded... You know what? I am pretty much stimulated. My body's nerve root rattles my feelings. I don't know why, but I guess she is too beautiful to talk about such a masculine stuff. How come such a young, attractive, and sexy contour could brandish such a heavy, heavy a sword? One guy, getting more excited on the next guy's odd quip, added an additional pep. Well, I am so much enthralled by her foresight on the military matter. I can't help but feel more curious about her draft to be presented in a week. You know what? I think I maybe fall in love with her fame because she's attractive and yet talking about masculine things. The next guy heedlessly niggled with the other guy's offhand mutter. <laughs> I mean, uh, I hope that's a bit thick. I'm going to say fanfic again. I'm wow. sorry. It would seem absurd to uh, hear that and say that's from the book we're reading. Number five, final one. Michael continued, At the time, I had grasped my situation so powerfully and metaphysically that while observing his moments ser movements seriously, I seemed to recognize clearly that my own personality had now been merged into a two-man stock company that my free will was fatally wounded, and that other people's mistakes or misfortunes could put the innocent me in harm's way and death. Therefore, I saw that there was a kind of intermediate regent of providence. Because of fair equity, there could never have been so much injustice. Only for the most part, he links this Siamese relationship with a number of other mortals in some way. If the banker goes bankrupt, you snap. If you accidentally poison a pill at the pharmacy, you die. <laughs> <laughs> Siamese. Ugh. Siamese relationship with a number of other mortals. Oh, man, this is maybe the hardest ever, because I feel like right now I could be zero four. This could all be real, and I'm just not. So, But I I don't know. I'm going to say this is real, and it's not just because I've guessed 
fanfic for everything else. It's yeah. this the Siamese thing. So <laughs> so odd. All right, here's how we did. Um I feel like, yeah, if these had been presented in a different order, you might have thought about it differently. But I think you did five for five last last week. Mm-hmm. This did not turn out as well. Number one was, mm. um, brother, what was even something for here? Reform is lacking and a revolution is needed to permanently. Second principle, third principle, fourth principle, Brenda said. You, yeah. said, you said fanfic. That was fanfic. That was okay. from Jay, who took a... Google translated part of the Unabomber's manifesto into Korean, then Esperanto, then back into English. He said it's disappointingly coherent. I agree. Uh, Number two was President John Garfield uh, having a party with top-notch singers, a small and cozy party. Uh, You said fanfic. That's real. That's coming. Oh, come on. Top-notch. Top-notch. Yeah, he said the— A uh, cocktail party? (laughs) For the super constitution. <laughs> Maybe they're going to like meet Miss O'Hara or something. Uh, so that's one for two. Uh, number three was vulnerableness. Uh, yeah. And then uh, he bites some ham and cheese sandwiches. Uh, you said fanfic. That's real. Coming real oh, later. come on. Maybe that's part of the cocktail party. They're going to serve ham and cheese sandwiches. That was submitted by Craig. Uh, number four. So you're one for three. Number four uh, was... Miss Sequoia, the guy's perving out over Miss Sequoia. My body's nerve root rattles my feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you said fanfic. That's real. Um, coming later. I'm not sure who Miss Sequoia is going to be, but that was submitted. Come by. on. <laughs> Does, who, is anyone blaming me for this? <laughs> I don't think they possibly could because it would sound absurd to say that. Yeah, that sounds like Jeez. from what we've established so far. So that was submitted by Ross. One for four so far. And then the last one was people's mistakes or misfortunes. If the banker goes bankrupt, you snap. Siamese relationship, poison a pill at the pharmacy. You said real for that one. That was fanfic. So one for five. She tr- That was from, submitted by Emily, who translated an exceptionally inscrutable passage from Moby Dick to Korean and then back again. All right, people. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, uh, every, Everyone who submitted fanfic this time essentially translated things. Another guy did a, a speech from uh, Nikola Tesla, um, uh, about ending war, but let's get some, let's get some written fanfic next time. We can't just, you can't just be translating things here. Cause that, none of those even turned out especially weird. I think the, uh, the, the, the translated from multiple languages and back turned out more coherent than the actual super constitution. It's the, uh, it's the mundane mixed with the just touches of absurdity. Like I, I feel like I don't even think AI could pick out his, you know his particular what he's doing. You know, I don't. Like, think, I don't think they could nail it down. No, it's so inscrutable and has so just the, the the metaphors, but just you know coming out of nowhere. It's sort of like if you're like nodding off at the wheel, where you're just like your eyes get heavy, and then like <gasps> it hits you with something weird like that, just in in the middle of utter mundanity. Well, I feel like uh, you know I I don't blame myself. Like I just uh, went to bat five times against Roger Clemens. Mm-hmm. I got the bat on the ball once, and so, you know, it dribbled to the second baseman, and I uh, just barely eked out my single. That's all I feel. It's, well, like, combine it with— Otherwise, the, I whiffed. Combine it with the last one, you, you are six for ten, so. Eh, okay. <laughs> Keep your chin up. Um, chat, article 11 is called Citadel of Moscow, and what we're going to do here is— uh, they last chapter was about China. This one's about Russia. The next one's about the U.S. And they sort of go through the similar process of trying to abide by the Troika's or Miss O'Hara's demands here. Um, the, the first thing I thought was funny about this one was 
it starts with George Kirkman, president of the global government, calling the president of Russia, who is yeah, uh, what's his name, Vodosky, yes, Brodosky, Brodosky. Uh, he said, George Kirkman says, Mr. President, how are you? This is George Kirkman from my office in the UN building. I'm sending our minister of politics and Dr. Toro Yono and military minister, Dr. Wang Yanji, to discuss the matter of decommissioning your country's WMD the next week. I wish you could produce a constructive and creative historical landmark. The world is watching your all-embracing initiative. Please accept my congratulations for the great result in advance. The next sentence. The Russian president being out of temper on George Kirkman's Almost insulting challenge. Felt an immediate <laughs> temperamental outburst. He, yeah, that was a really uh, insulting request he just made there. <laughs> I love the uh, the fact that he included that. Uh, once a, a teacher of mine told me to do that in a letter, like uh, uh, thanking you in advance for your anticipated cooperation. <laughs> I was like, that sounds pretty aggressive. I guess that is sort of insulting. Uh, but, you know, then again, he is just a figurehead here, so. And he, end, uh, he, he ends his request with, thank you, President Brodowski. I wish you good luck. Brodowski's just like, all right, you bastard. <laughs> A step but, too far. Then he, uh, we get this sentence. George Kirkman ended the phone talk calmly and decisively. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to check with you, Connor. Later, I'm going to give you a phone talk. Okay. And- Maybe we could both enjoy a lemon drink as we uh, had our phone talk. <laughs> right. Those are, the, uh, those are the fact where if the author is from the 21 light years away, that's like your Mozart thing. That's, you're kind of yes. tipping your hand there. Like, I will have a phone talk and wish him well. Hello, fellow humans. <laughs> Happy day of birth. <laughs> uh, uh, the, here's a thing that is utterly schizophrenic. Uh, moronic two, schizophrenia <laughs> moronic schizophrenia these two geniuses dr yono and dr wang are actually academic and desk-bound nobodies yeah just because extraordinary authority to conduct the supreme global job was vested in these two guys on the matter of world politics and military concerns they look like a 600 pound gorilla to the world's national presidents <laughs> especially to the powerful governing members of russia <laughs> what <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot to process. I don't know why he's slamming them as desk-bound nobodies. He he goes out of his way like the only humans worth anything <laughs> worth you know. Otherwise, you that paragraph I read earlier about these these you know hidebound schlubs with limited <laughs> intelligence, and suddenly these idiots are just desk-bound morons. <laughs> However, yeah. to everyone else, they look like nine hundred pound gorillas, six hundred pound really gorillas, don't. which is a funny you sorry, know, it's, a, it's a funny turn of phrase in itself. But especially in the context of how the last episode ended, which was Doctor Bang's speech at the UN, which I will quote to you thusly, okay. ladies and gentlemen, there are many public enterprises. The heavy size of 800-pound gorillas, which, <laughs> which, which have no boss, and there are many uh, public administration offices, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> you've got to factor it in there in the context of that. It is sort of insulting that they are only 600-pound gorillas compared to the 800-pound gorillas referred to earlier. And the, the common parlance is 900 pounds, right? So that you can say 900 without going to 1,000? I think you're supposed to say the biggest number. I don't know. That's that, the, I've always heard the 900-pound gorilla. I did look it up, and it seemed Wikipedia asserted that, that uh, you know, silverback gorilla, 600 pounds is probably the maximum you're going to get in the real world. So <laughs> at okay. least he's, uh, he's, he's got that part of this correct. But yeah, because the, the, it's a joke, right? They, where do they sleep? Anywhere they want to? Yes, yes. 
Yes, that's it. <laughs> uh, by the way, I brought up the other day, uh, this has come up on the thing before. Oh, with Gump and Co. Uh, do we cheat him and how? Yeah, yeah. I said to some young people trying to be sort of like, you know, self-deprecating. Like, yeah, my lawyers do, do we cheat him and how? Uh, the young people laughed as though wow. as this was a fresh joke to them. And then I went, oh, God, no, I was just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Wow! I said there's an entire Wikipedia article about how old and dusty and horrible that is. <laughs> They're like, oh, I mean, it made me laugh. <laughs> like, okay. Wow, there's your key to uh, TikTok virality is uh, go on there with right. some Dewey Cheatham and Howe material. A little vaudeville shtick and everyone's like, what is this fresh take? <laughs> <laughs> so your tap-a-tap-a keg uh, fraternity shirts and uh, clean up. Yeah, my my Dr. Ben Dover. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, here's a, a, a good example of Charles Kim describing someone that is just like, they're essentially doing like a Jim Carrey, like physical comedy thing here for how many different directions this person is being, you know, f- forced to move in at this point in time. President Brodowski was startled by Dr. Wang's straightforward manner of talking without any hesitation. Anyway, President Brodsky, a Brodsky, not Brodowski. Anyway, so he was startled. Anyway, President Brodsky felt somewhat relieved of stress upon hearing Dr. Wang's concern on his state of mind-boggling uncertainty. So he's startled, but somewhat relieved, but overall he has mind-boggling uncertainty. So he probably needs some, some medical attention, I would say. He seems yes. very stressed with this task he's been given. I uh, I had the same note about that, but was thrown by the... Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> People writing stuff and then dismissing it with their own anyway. <laughs> you wrote it. Right. Um, uh, but then we get into a, a very long, uh, this is where, you know, the eyes just glaze over. Mm-hmm. Um, the description of like the KGB and Russia and how the Kremlin was built. Seems pure Wikipedia. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Fax King was was dug into here. Yes. And uh, I just, I, I have no, uh, no just nothing, I have no time for this. Nothing to pull from there. You've, yeah. We've got to get to the point where it starts making more uh, multi-hundred pound animal analogies. Yes, please. <laughs> China's example went great for the global government's favor. All of the authentic, powerful stature of giant Goliath became pitiful, dwarf-sized, trifling toys. <laughs> Which is harsh. <laughs> People used to consider the world, especially the world's political power balance or power struggle, as a labyrinthine puzzle or as an invincible wizard. But, <laughs> but now... What? That, good, good, good question. What is a very, very good question at that point in time. But now to the people of the world, the world looked like an enjoyable ball game on the ground by professional players. Hello, fellow humans. Uh, people no longer had to be frightened away over wild, ferocious 400-pound cats but would enjoy patting 10-pound cute cubs. So the size of the animals just keeps reducing and reducing here. What is happening with the animal <laughs> 800-pound gorillas, 600-pound gorillas, 400-pound cats, and then 10-pound cubs. All right, enjoy. Wait, labyrinthine puzzle. Okay, we're in, we're in puzzle analogy. Uh, or as an invincible wizard. Okay, we're in wizard. Okay. <laughs> Merlin can't just wave his wand and make... Uh, is that what he's going to do? No, enjoyable ball game. Wait, we were wizards. What happened? Then it we're could, cats. It could wow. be Quidditch. That's a ball game played by wizards. That, there you go. Does it have cats in it? Uh, of any poundage? I don't think so. I think all you had was Whomping Willows and uh, the girl who lived in the toilet. Sorry. 
which I'm not ruling out. That could happen. We could have a toilet ghost by the end of this book. Um, and I think they're doing all of this, uh, and forgive me if I'm going slightly out of order because notes come a little sparse here once you start getting KGB uh, building. Uh, you yeah. know, it's like Moby Dick with whale taxonomy. <laughs> like, I'm just going to skip this part. Um, they were well aware of the dominant crushing force of the Troika's technology. They knew how to use the force in cracking down on local governments. <laughs> so... This is them. I assume this is he's talking about. We we know you have power. We know how to use our power. We're going to go out into the local governments and just start killing people there. Mm-hmm. But as far as their power, they were well aware of it. How? Because uh, she said they had it. They had she had her <laughs> finger in her trench coat, pointing it at him. I, that's what I, I kept noting. I was like, how? Like no one's demonstrated it. Like they're not even pretending that it was them who nuked Rome. You know, yes, I feel like this is just Russia going, um, hey, man, we don't want to go into the little villages and crush the local governments. We don't want to drag the citizens out in the street and put two in the back of their head. But they have the killing power. What? Why have they shown you? Hey, get in the trench. Yes, don't, right. don't worry. Yeah. And then the local government does make you think of just like a. The type of town where, like, they elect a dog as their mayor or something, like, as a cute little gesture. <laughs> Taking that dog out and, you know, hanging him in the town square. Here, but So so do the, the Troika and, and uh, Daddy, then they hear about this or whatever? Like, you know, maybe there's a, a reporter, who ha- a stringer who happened to be in the area. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> Russia's instituting this thing. They're going into every local government and they're just slaughtering. And, and then the Troika, is, are, are they just like, well... I mean, you know, easier than, you know, pointing that beam from the Joshua tree at him, I guess. Yeah. You know, this is working out for us. Yeah, really. It saves us, uh, you know, like 50 bucks every time we got to fire that up. So if they can, uh, we can delegate as much as possible, that's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and, and the, this sort of uh, unease is, is phrased thusly. This is the second lump analogy I think we've had in this section. It says, the great lump of concerns majestically <laughs> loomed on the horizon. Which is like, I mean, I just, it's poetry, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you, uh, you, you're, you know, flying into Washington State. You see like Mount Hood out the window and you're like, look at that great lump majestically <laughs> moving on the horizon. Maybe that's in Oregon, whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, so getting rid of the WMDs, uh, they, wor- they do worry about this. It's not just, you know, of all the things they hand wave away, this one they're particularly concerned about. They, meaning our author, is. Mm-hmm. Any mistake of the sophisticated technology could produce a disaster like the U.S.'s three-island nuclear generator <laughs> or a breakdown of Russia's Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Like, you know, you're writing your manifesto to rearrange the global government. Like, just get some crap right. Could you right. just look something up? And for someone who is so clearly on Wikipedia talking about, like, the, you know, how many bricks were used to build the Kremlin, it's like, yeah. come on. <laughs> just get it right. The word mile goes missing there. Yes. He does confirm. He does confirm because we were all very, very um, curious. He says Russian leaders had heard about a cruel crushing force behind the charming Miss O'Hara's attractive and sexy appearance. Mm. So that's important. (laughs) Uh, That's right, Russians. Come and get some of this. Why don't you? (laughs) Uh, And it says, uh, 
what else? I mean, it, 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 they talk about di disarming the WMD. It says that the, uh, however, to the global government, to the Minister of Politics, Dr. Yono, and the Minister of Military, Dr. Wang, the agenda of the WMD signified the most urgent homework because getting rid of the WMD could drag by endlessly. So it's not urgent because it's, you know, deadly consequences, just because, like, it would kind of drag on and who wants to get held up and all that sort of paperwork. Uh, it says the steady accumulation of the WMD throughout more than half dozen decades had formed a menacing presence. It did not mean a simple cleaning job. It resembled a job of a bomb diffusing squad <laughs> in that it involved diffusing, diffusing many bombs across the many. Many, many bombs. Come on. <laughs> uh, but, but, lest you think everyone is crazy, one of the Russian high-ranking military officers emphasized at one of the meetings that at least they had to understand Miss O'Hara's real intention before they would stage a full-scale campaign to dismantle the WMD. Mm -hmm. Only one of them objected? <laughs> one guy's like... Am I crazy here? <laughs> Am I being gaslit? What are you talking about? Yeah. We're going to just start the program? She hasn't demonstrated anything. And there's like 50 guys, you know, with mono brows staring at him like, what What do you even mean? I mean, yeah. I don't know, but she did, said she had it. Did you get a look at her, though? I mean, Auga. <laughs> oh, boy. She's like a sexy wood nymph or naiad. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they, they raise a few concerns about that, but um, it does um, get horny again for her. The Citadel of Moscow boiled, burnt, glowed, fevered, and even fantasized its own image with Miss O'Hara's direct appearance. A group of top Russian technocrats who had gone through a large variety of trials and sweating efforts to locate Miss O'Hara's origin fantasized themselves in direct communication with her. Their blissful ecstasy climaxed through their bloodstream. <laughs> So that is, uh, you know, one, one guy, maybe the other guy is just like, I don't know, not into her. There's always one guy who's like, I don't know, like, you know, Megan Fox, two out of ten. So he could just be that that type of vibe. That's, and he's the one that's like raising objections to, uh, to, to them going along with her plan. Uh, but the, uh, the top technocrats, uh, they have the little discussion about it. And uh, that's... Can we just play this one out? Do you have it in front of you? The top te technocrats uh, talked it over with one of his peers? Yes. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll be the top technocrat and you <laughs> respond to me. Hey, uh, I watched a replay of her appearance at the UN the other day more than a dozen times. She is beautiful Caucasian with blue eyes. Very attractive lady. Very sexy wood nymph or naiad. Yeah, but why do you refer to her through forest or river? Why, well, I, I think forest or river symbolizes mystic origins of fairy tales. Look, Miss O'Hara might not be a lady, just disguising herself as a lady. Miss O'Hara could be a puppet. I am still really curious about the existence behind the scenes. Uh, maybe you're right. Nonetheless, today's occasion casts raptures. The occasion could have a lot of spin-offs. I hope we could derive some entrancing offsprings from today's event. <laughs> well, after all, I hope a pleasant upshot, too. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, let's go do some technocrat <laughs> stuff. 
What the hell is that? I don't know. But but this is what's happening in the Citadel as that conversation is happening. It says it sensationally resonated in their heart. It dramatically moved their minds. It literally vibrated the Citadel of Moscow. So that's how hot she is, I guess. And that's why they think she's a wood nymph or naiad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you technocrats. Horny technocrats. Just utterly bizarre. Uh, let me see. Oh, do you have any idea what's going on here? Most Mostly gentlemen swarmed over with a few dots of colorful ladies' wives and typically talented female aides and agents. These people of a fine and quiet breed glittered throughout the hall. Wow. Uh, I, I just, I'm puzzled. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um. I mean, when it says mostly gentlemen, you assume those are the, the cartoon wolves that are flocking to watch her speech, and I don't know what they're doing. Swarmed glittering. over with a few dots of colorful ladies, uh, ladies, wives, and typically talented female aides and agents. Maybe it's like pontalism? Is this just a sex, sex orgy? I mean, <laughs> you know, Technocrat nuts? sex orgy. It sounds like a Rammstein song or something. So Miss O'Hara speaks, and right before that, someone said, someone, instructs everybody to turn off their mobile phones so it's like a you know, yes. MC at a community theater production or something. Uh, and then it says, soon Miss O'Hara appeared with the upper half of her body in a comfortable smile. <laughs> uh, maybe a, a full-body Cheshire grin? Who knows? Uh, yeah, I wondered. That's another physical challenge. <laughs> Appear with the upper half of your body in a comfortable smile. You're like you're arcing your arms like a YMCA person to mimic a smile. I don't know. Maybe she's doing the, uh, you know, you see those guys in like parades where you, you put on a big hat and then like uh, like paint your stomach to have a smile on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love those things. Always makes me laugh. <laughs> Uh, and so she begins her speech, and I thought this was sort of a way to make people go like, wait, wait, wait what? Uh, but she says, <laughs> if you believe in me and you follow my directions, there are going to be no threats, no nightmares, and only happy solutions for everybody. Which is sort of like, a, well, uh, nightmares? <laughs> that wasn't, we weren't envisioning nightmares. We thought you were making a new utopia for us. What is this? Uh, well, now I'm thinking only about nightmares that you've mentioned it. I I have the exact same thing on this slide with a, wait, what? Uh, When we face any type of consequences, I'm going to send the killing wave to them at any time without any further warning. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to me today. I wish you happiness and good luck. (laughs) Oh, she is smiling inside. Wait, what did she just say? (laughs) Coffee cake in the lobby and uh, threats of killing wave without any further warning. Wow. And that sentence, after right after that, it says, Miss O'Hara's five-minute appearance for delivering her pep talk to the elite yes. leaders. So that's the, uh, the, the, I will kill any of you if you stand in my way instantaneously was described as a pep talk. I, uh, I almost uh, looked on the dark web to see if anyone had reenacted pep talks, but we get the actual <laughs> pep talk. <Yes. laughs> so it is amazing. But they refer to it in advance. They say, hey, how do we solve this? Let's get Miss O'Hara to do a pep talk, <laughs> which, you know, like uh, high school band, you know, sitting on the bleachers. Yeah. Uh, Come on, guys. This the... is regionals. Give it your best <laughs> shot. Oh, it's but uh, yeah, she's uh, so this again, it's not Miss O'Hara. It's just like Brenda appearing. We don't know how, but okay. bouncing off a, a branch in uh, Joshua Tree, right? Untraceable. Yep. And uh, 
uh, and threatening to kill everyone. <laughs> so Brenda is just there in a room, like college student. She's, ju- I mean, she's obviously still sweating from the sex she just mm-hmm. had. Yep. Trained fighter like, pilot uh, too. Yeah, I'm glad I'm able to address all of Russia, and uh, obviously this will be picked up by all of the networks. Uh, I'm going to kill you all if you don't do exactly what I say. Uh, enjoy your day. See ya. That's sort of like uh, you know she she's about to get, you know they're, they're like we're going live in ten. She like catches her own like reflection in the camera lens or something. Just like how did it get here? Like this is you know, <laughs> things have really spiraled out of control. I what am I? People of Russia. I mean, sorry, <laughs> people of Russia. <laughs> Yes. All right. That's all I have for. uh... But yeah. So just to catch people up on what happened there, the people of Russia were like, hey, we think that maybe this is not an alien from 21 light years away. Like, let's try to trace her. And she showed up and was like, don't try to do that or I'll kill you. (laughs) Yes. And they thought maybe it was America just tricking them or whatever. Yeah. Um, The way that chapter ends, I thought was funny. It says Miss Miss O'Hara's appearance in front of them made sure that she was no one's puppet. (laughs) <laughs> furthermore her downright acknowledgement of the russian elite's importance and her explicit willingness to exercise the killing wave without any further warning <laughs> paved enough confidence and reason for the russia elite to take action on their lingering doubts and anxieties that they, i think maybe it's like a little bit of the second one the explicit willingness to exercise the killing wave more than it is her acknowledgement of the russian elite's importance that are going to make them act on that but it, again though at a certain point it's the bully saying, like, I'm going to sock you in the nose. And you're like, well, you haven't yet. I'm not, right. uh, you know, now go down there and eat that dog poo. Put your <laughs> face in that. Like, no, I'm right. not going to. I'll punch you. No, I'm not going to do it. And then, like, uh, you're not worth it anyway. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> it's, a, it's also like, you know, the Wizard of Oz probably could have maintained his, you know, ruse if he had said, if you peek behind that curtain, I'll kill you immediately type of thing. Yes. Like, so <laughs> it's, uh, it, it does send, tend to get people to comply. Yeah, I guess it's not a puppet because he threatened to kill us. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's uh, more impressive than a ventriloquist drinking water while the puppet keeps talking for sure. <laughs> Yes. Article 12 is uh, called White House. So now we get to see how the Americans are going to handle the uh, demands of the Troika and Miss O'Hara. Mm-hmm. They have set up a uh, sp- special uh, something task force, the SSFT, SFTF. Um, this is the, they set this up before, I think. Okay. This is the um, thing to find out who's actually doing this. I okay. Believe. So the Americans are yeah. looking into it too. Yes. Um, and we we get some we get to meet the president of the United States for the first time. And the, uh, the president is John Garfield, I believe named, uh, named after my, uh, second favorite and first favorite Garfield character. Um, Oh, is that because he's John Garfield is a a famous actor of the, Oh really? Yeah. Like forties, fifties, sixties, John Garfield. Nice. (laughs) Uh, the the postman always rings twice. I believe is one of his famous. Awesome. And we just odd. There was a a president last name Garfield. So that's just, you know, there's only been 45 of those. So we need to, you know, it's kind of a big coincidence that we happen to be. (laughs) But, um, he, the president is saying like, she would not dare to kill our scientists to cause casting a chill over the people's mind. I am sure she would deploy some format of a scaring tactic before taking any action of killing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, using the killing power seems like it would pretty much constitute a, a pretty good scaring tactic in my mind, at least. <laughs> yeah, but he does. He offers some comfort. He says, uh, 
you know, in terms of brainstorming capability on reading ahead of the developing situations or hypothetical scenarios, but looking at the shape of our political circumstance that plays a crucial role model to the world, killing is not a cure-all and not a final answer either. (laughs) Well, that's comforting. What? Was that on the table? (laughs) Oh, someone doesn't think killing's a cure-all. Look at Mr. Gandhi over here. Nobel Peace Prize for you. Yeah, it got a little uncomfortable there, a little collar tugging too, with killing is not a cure nor a final answer yeah. either. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've long, like the other characters who reveal, like, I've long considered this. It's like, you have? <laughs> yeah, I've dreamt about it. <laughs> he says, uh, I'm not telling that she is not going to use that horrible killing wave, but I am telling that she is not going to use that wave by digressing from a line of our thought or reasoning. The what now? (laughs) I'm not saying that she's not going to use it, but I'm not not saying that she's not going to not use it. (laughs) Right. Uh, Uh, But uh, so the the president addresses his, I believe this is just like a cabinet meeting, right? Of the the SSTF. Yeah. Every single thing in this uh, section that we've covered so far has been a cabinet meeting, whether it's the uh, Chinese, (laughs) Russian, or American. Yes. Shades of uh, Star Wars prequels. (laughs) Yes, very much. Uh, But then we get this from the president, George, what's his name? Kirkland? George George Kirkman. Well, he's the global president. Uh, John Garfield's the U.S. president. John Garfield. Sorry, this is from John Garfield. I'm sorry. I get my presidents mixed up. (laughs) The global president and the president of the U.S. uh, Says to his cabinet, gentlemen, you guys take a pretty much serious attitude towards the manner of our SF." and also towards China's division in Russia's fall. I think so far Miss O'Hara rolls without any major impediment because the history and making has been directed in accordance to people's basic wishful breeze. And uh, <laughs> that uh, that phrase, like ending on like the powerful, there's the mic drop of, come on, guys. Uh, everything's been directed in accordance to people's basic wishful breeze. Uh, sure. That's a- it just reminded me... Of like a 70s singer-songwriter. Oh, yeah. Little Yacht Rock, maybe, or even like wussier than Yacht Rock. Yeah, like a, uh, I don't know, uh, Randy Van Wormer. (laughs) Remember him? (laughs) Just When I Needed You Most, I think, were just the most breathy. Um, So I looked it up, and in fact, it's true. There there is a song uh, that took this from it, this is taken from a 70s song this is an allusion to a yes. 70s singer wow yeah larry van wormer and uh i was able to find <laughs> it it's it's not on spotify or is that his brother or is that just a coincidence that his last it's name his is his cousin oh got it yeah yeah okay. his cousin larry van wormer and it's not even he's not uh, on spotify he's not on spotify i had to go to bear share Yo, yep. Uh huh. Well, yeah. be, be careful. Don't download any MP3s that end in like mp3.exe. <laughs> oh, I, I, but I have a lot of uh, funny, weird Al songs that I also just downloaded along with it. Oh, so, wow. Uh, that's About it. like yeah, smoking probably. weed and stuff. And all stuff yes, that exactly. don't really do. <laughs> it's weird. It doesn't sound like his voice, but it is, it is him. Because so. I got high Afro Man Weird Al cover. Yes. So, so anyway, here's, uh, let's just play a, just a small snippet. Of, Larry uh, Van Larry. Wormer? Larry Van Wormer is singing uh, People's Basic Wishful Breeze. (laughs) Gentlemen, you guys take a pretty much serious attitude toward the matter of ISSTF. 
and also toward China's division and Russia's fall. I think so far Miss O'Hara rolls without any major impediment because the history in making has been directed in accordance to people's basic wishful breeze. People's basic wishful breeze. So there you go. I wow. Mean, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it fits right into the to the seventies wuss rock canon. I think you could have done uh, Seals, Croft, and Van Warmer. That would have been a, a super group. Like, <laughs> oh, how do you know they don't have a, a <laughs> revered album out there that's only on uh, heavy vinyl? <laughs> well, you know, the basic wishful breeze. Uh, the president goes on to say some things that are a bit more weighty. I think he says. <laughs> It is definitely a great human history for us to experience only one constitution to the world. Which is, I mean, that sounds sort of like a betrayal of your oath of office. Like, (laughs) if if not treason outright. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, He says, no matter who rules, if the ruling machinery goes by the spirit of justice, who does care if it's going to be the ruler? China, Japan, Russia, America? I indeed don't care. I mean it. As long as we enjoy the new world order, who would care going against it? So it's sort of like if you ever had like a, a stoner roommate who was more of the cheerful kind, who was just like always happy to be there. And you're like, what do you want in your pizza? It's like, doesn't matter, man. I'm just going to, you know, whatever you get, I'll throw in. We'll eat it. Have a great time, man. So you're okay with, you know, pepperoni and green peppers? Anything you want, man. Just like, oh, it's going to be a great night. It's all good, brother. It's all good. <laughs> China, Russia, what do you care? That's amazing. Uh, but he's, uh, the other problem with human- humanity, the other one is that our so powerful governing power is actually nothing but a joke or childish mischief or a toy of a house because we don't <laughs> simply have enough power to crush over all the opposing spheres of interest. <laughs> That's been the problem with humanity. We haven't given enough power to a single entity to crush us when we don't. Uh, follow the dictates of uh, John Garfield at all. Incredible, right? Like, think of all the horrible things that have happened in humanity and uh, not giving people enough power to crush each other was the real problem there. Uh, He also says, because he is talking to his cabinet, he says, I have longed for, and you have longed for, the outstanding power to be able to control everything and to be able to flatten every opposing formidable challenge in order to dispatch business at full speed the best way of justice you think absolutely right. So, like, are the other people looking at each other in the room and being like, "I'm, uh, you know, I'm just the Secretary of Transportation. I've, I've never longed to be able to flatten every opposing challenge in order to dispatch <laughs> business. I, uh, I'm just sort of focused on infrastructure." <laughs> uh, uh, and if you were wondering what the SSTF, you know, what have they been up to, uh, it is explained. So here okay. we go. Second, the tracing job of the White House was explained. Okay. 
The White House's basic strategy on its SSTF's activities had changed from its dynamic wedging into interception to a dormant wait-and-see situation by the U.S. president. However, Steve Johnson, U.S. National Security Advisor and Prime Manager of the SSTF, and Edmund Murdoch, Chief of Presidential Staff, had to monitor and manage overall stuff of blipping radar scope and intercepting devices and results. Whoa. So thank you for, I mean, at last, some clarity on this issue. <laughs> He's back on the science talk with the uh, stuff of blipping <laughs> radar scope. Stuff of blipping radar scope, one word, and intercepting devices and results. <laughs> so I, I assume no further questions? No, that's good. That's uh, Yeah, okay. That, that stuff thank of you. blipping is, uh, is good. I mean, we can yeah. all picture the scene in the... Uh, in like the 50s, 60s, like black and white movie with just the oscilloscope and then the sine wave type of thing happening. It's like... A... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got it. But uh, Steve Johnson and who was it? Edmund Murdoch? Uh, Chief of Presidential Staff. Yes. yes. They have a uh, conversation which they is overheard by the Troika using their uh, advanced listening equipment. And it begins with them, you know, they address each other by name, um, like a used car dealer type of thing, even though they're, mm-hmm. they obviously know each other. But it just makes it easier for the Troika to understand who's talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, essentially, the point of their thing, <laughs> the point of their thing is that they also think they should trace the uh, origin of Miss O'Hara. And if you thought that the blipping stuff was not clear, try to make sense of this sentence here. Steve made a ready reply on Edmund's advice. But Edmund, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit of a chicken to throw in the towel on the remnant job of a trivial butt. <laughs> but with two T's. I'm just going to read it one more time. But Edmund, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit of a chicken to throw in the towel on the remnant job of a trivial butt. <laughs> what? All right, that... That one just what in I mean, the world. None of our none of our fanfics where they translated to Esperanto, then Korean, then back to English came up with anything that insane. That is nuts. Um, lots of leaders though. This is President John Garfield, and again, if we're going out of order, forgive me. Sorry. Now, all of a sudden, he faced an epoch-making historical technology, the absolute crushing force which he used to pipe dream time to time. <laughs> Look, Charles Kim, I know you want to kill us all. Every character we run across, as soon as they mention, like, you know, hey, uh, you, th- you heard they got this thing that can destroy the entire globe. Oh, yeah. God, I've always wanted that. Of course. <laughs> yeah. it you is, have? It is sort of like, yeah, just like meeting someone for the first time and they vocalize something that you're like, I, that's not really something we should say aloud at this party we're at, you know, like... You ever think about how, like, if you were like, <laughs> like, dude, no, no one has thought about that. Yes. Oh, there was a, I can't even mention what this guy said, but that happened late night with like a friend of a friend who uh, did, you know, said, you know, you ever been, uh, and then just the most horrific thing and just dead silence. Like, <laughs> and then he did the whole like defensive. Oh, right. Oh. Like I'm the only one. <laughs> like you are absolutely the only one. <laughs> And I'm never going to see you again. And I never did. Actually. Right. Uh, while we're up here, this is a little exercise I wanted to try, just because this is pre- U.S. President John Garfield reading a, uh, a monologue of you know absolute gibberish, but also insanity, such as those pipe dreams of crushing force. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see what it would sound like if some of our like uh, past U.S. presidents had delivered this type of monologue. 
So I figured sure. uh, we could read it, and then the other one of us would just call out the impression that we had to do the reading of this in the voice of. Okay. Well, um, give me the what page number are we going to be? Uh, in? 185 it starts. Yep, got it. Um, gentlemen, you guys take a pretty much... Yeah, yeah. So yep. we can just read it, and then, like, you know... it. We can maybe both try it, or you know, you can go first, and we can we can change it from uh, on a dime. Just you know, switch from from one president to another. Uh, okay, who are you going to challenge me with first? Uh, you can start with uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, gentlemen, you guys take a pretty much serious attitude towards the matter of RSSTF, and also toward China's division and Russia's fall. Ronald Reagan. Well, I think so far, Miss O'Hara rolls without any major impediment because the history and making has been directed in accordance to people's basic wishful breeze. Uh, Barack Obama. That, well, get these folks. I agree with her general vision over the undulation of the globalizing movement. <laughs> uh, George right, W. Your turn. Okay, fine, fine. You take over. Uh, okay, as who? With George W. <laughs> the free flow of the commercial commodities, the drastic savings on the military buildups, and the ironclad security measures against criminals, terrorists, swindlers, disease, poverty, and stress would bring the end of endless wars to the human civilization. And he continues as Jimmy Carter. Oh, God. <laughs> it is definitely a great human history for us to experience only one constitution in the world. As a matter of uh, fact, it continues as uh, Richard Nixon. As a matter of fact, even a few hundred years back, we did not have anything like the modern communication and transportation, and no WMD, and no precision weapons. Yes, Mr. Trump. Many <laughs> uh, empires and superpowers, however, have. God damn it! Uh, 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 However, have, have, have tried to conquer the whole world, no matter who rules. If the ruling machinery goes by, the spirit of justice... Uh, God damn it. That's a Here disaster. Comes, no, you, you, the, you have a word coming up that will get you into it. Oh, God. Who, who does chair? Who is going to be the ruler? China? Japan? <laughs> there you go. Ah, that was <laughs> trash. China was right there for James it. Austin Johnson is rolling in his grave. Uh, <laughs> uh, you do. You continue. Start with Japan. You do it as, as Trump. I can't. I don't think I've ever done. I don't think I've ever uh, heard you. I don't think. I well, don't you know. know, it's not going to be any worse than what just happened. Started the in fact paragraph. Uh, in fact, where is that? The next paragraph. Oh, in fact. Okay, there it is. The next one. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. <laughs> I've never even attempted it out loud. In fact, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't have any. I have no hook for it. In. I can't do it. In fact, uh, yeah. All right. All right. Ah, we got tripped up. <laughs> We're calling it. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. I, yeah. c- I couldn't tell you what Jimmy Carter sounds like. So, ah, all right. Well, so that's the U.S. president sounding like a bunch of gibberish throughout history. Yes. Who's the last imp- president anyone could do an impression of? Franklin Roosevelt? I mean, uh, he, he sort of sounds like Miss O'Hara, right? That- yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. His fireside chats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah him. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, there was who's the comedian who used to do the, you know, my impression of, you know, a, uh, George Washington. And I would be like, I chopped down this cherry tree. God, you sound just like him. <laughs> <laughs> 
He would only do impressions that could not be <laughs> verified. <laughs> yes. Uh, All right. All right. Well, that was a high wire act. Uh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, apologies. Um, so they are essentially talking about the killing wave and how we all have to, uh, at some point in time, they are saying that they need to make a this demonstration of it. They say we have been a tacit understanding among us to try our best not to have anybody fall under our killing wave. And then there's a butt coming. But I guess we have to activate it now to minimize future victims. Eh, omelets, eggs, <laughs> that sort of thing. And this is all because uh, Steve and Edmund are being like, we got, we, got to, we got to use this technology to try to trace Miss O'Hara's transmission. Yeah, this can't, like she has not demonstrated it yet. So our plea forever has been you know, uh, personified with Steve, Steve Johnson. Is that his name? Yeah, right. Yes. Steve Johnson. But here, I would just like to point out that the author of this book thinks what I'm about to read is a good thing. <laughs> uh, this is an unalloyed good. Here we go. Intelligent guys, professionals, high performers, and shrewd businessmen usually make much faster headway to become a member of the superpower. In this way, Milovanov managed his humongous scale of espionage to grow in snowballing. Milovanov stood in the intelligence society as a clearly visible and formidable giant. He was getting a note of important talks and topics done inside the Kremlin, Beijing's government, and the White House. This is a good thing. <laughs> Absolute power. <laughs> Only given to intelligent guys, professionals, high performers, and shrewd businessmen. Right, yes. And this guy's view of humanity is very grim. Yeah, really. You have to start being like, you know, like... We're only going to use the killing power on people with disabilities, like you know, because we've got to we got to preserve all the people with PhDs and shrewd businessmen in order to uh, yeah. have this going. And don't forget, don't forget that they also believe it's like a I forget what term they used a God given right to do this, as they yes. earlier. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it is but a, a, a step away to say these these types are a drain on our society. <laughs> <laughs> the killing power you don't you hate to use it but uh they're not helping anything uh so they decide that they're they're going to do it they say we cannot avoid some sacrifices in the job of establishing the new world order through history have seen too many victims much hardship big agonies big agonies that's there we go <laughs> and endless bloodshed i am sure we are doing our best to save every one person as far as possible activating the killing wave to get rid of any impediment in achieving our goal for the global government calls for the imperatives of our technology. I think we have to act now. In this wave, Brenda, John, and James together maneuvered an activating device to pin down the killing wave on Steve Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just pressing the smite button, essentially. And uh, it's, Yeah, it's very funny that they do it to, uh, of, of all the people on the globe who threaten us more than anyone, are, are we really going to, we're going to make this move? We're going to step over this, you know, this is a pretty clear moral line. Yes, let's do it. And who is the worst enemy of ours? <laughs> Steve Johnson. <laughs> right. So think about this: is that like you've you've gotten the U.S. you've got meetings with the U.S., Russia, and uh, China to deliver these demands. China. And stuff. There's still, you know, a, a a armed North Korea out there that doesn't really have a history of engaging with these type of UN negotiations type of thing. Like you could, you could use it on Kim Jong if you wanted to, or right. Steve Johnson, you know, throw a dart, pick which one. Steve Johnson, who's just like, uh, you know, 
driving out of the uh, D.C. suburb and like kissing his his yes. wife and children goodbye. Right. Yeah, I got to go. We're trying to work on this thing, you know, uh, the, the global government. We think it might just be a person like out in the desert. <laughs> right. So we're trying to triangulate the wave. Well, be careful, honey, and have a good day. That's yes, right. Kill him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he. That, like there was one other uh, Ch- Russian guy, I think, that vocalized concerns. This is what he's doing. He's a whistleblower, essentially. He's 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 on the right side of history, and so he's yes. he must be batted down. Here's how he goes. I got I got to read it because it's the first thing that's really happened, other than the hot sex. Uh, all of a sudden, Steve fell on the floor from his chair with a whine from the pain of heart. Everybody was startled. The president called for emergency help. An emergency medical team appeared in three minutes, but Steve had already lost consciousness. The emergency team found Steve's heart had already stopped, and then Miss O'Hara's voice followed. She told to the Oval Office crowd that Steve ignored her warning. So the upshot just happened. The U.S. president, his inner circle, and the emergency team stood dumbfounded. Their face turned pale. Nobody said anything. (laughs) So we won't do it here, but what if, what if? We had gone to the dark web reenactors and they had said this, like, um, Steve fell on the floor from his chair with a whine. For, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, hi, this is the president. Can we get some emergency help? And then dead silence. Three for minutes later. Three full minutes. <laughs> yeah. Transportation secretary, do you know CPR? <laughs> like, no, I never lay awake at night dreaming of learning CPR. I was dreaming of crushing my enemies. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well... Then, what next? I think we just... Cozy party or... Hang out for, ooh, two minutes and 45 (laughs) seconds. Okay. And I do think when I thought that it took three minutes, didn't they say that their killing wave takes three minutes to kill someone? Like, it's not a, you know, zap them and they turn to the ashes. It is So it's very funny that they came to with all this technology, but it is, again, like a... You know, they, we'll get that time down in future iterations, but we're just we're rolling it out now. And uh, if you need someone dead immediately, like wait for version three or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a great. Uh, th- this is part of their justification. I think this comes earlier, uh, talking about Steve. How could such a meticulous person like Steve Johnson ignore such a sensitive last touch? This is not his mistake. This is his destiny. He became the first victim for the new world order. The history of the earth will inscribe his name along with the incredible technology of Miss O'Hara. So that's going to make a hell of a Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Steve Johnson, killing Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the whole reason that he he made a meticulous person ignore such a sense of the last touch is because he considered throwing in the towel on the remnant job of a trivial butt. That's, okay, that's right. That's what, yeah, that's what that, why it happened. So, I, yeah, it is very funny that his his name was the most among the most generic things possible, and that's uh, what's going to be etched on the ledgers of history for all of eternity. Right, uh, but you know, Steve, uh, you know, he did not die in vain. He he was starting to uh, get the location of the beam, right? Yes, yes. And, and so the troika. What are you going to do? They changed the hooked-up mechanism from the hidden valley of Joshua Tree to one of the hundreds of satellites circling the Earth. <laughs> you got to say to the sea lion, like, hey, why don't you just do that in the first place, yeah, man? Right. Like, <laughs> you just wanted to take a trip to Joshua Tree, didn't you? That's yeah. what it was all about. <laughs> and he, he, they, he nicely hand waves it away with, uh, even though the SFTF would finally locate the origin, the origin would be one of the satellites. No technology could read the incoming wave to the satellite from any part of the Earth 
because John maneuvered the reflecting angle. <laughs> ah, so, so there you go. That's uh, John's just there, like you know, doing it like you tease a cat with a laser pointer. He's just waving it around or something. So at minute two and forty-five seconds, Steve Johnson is going. Uh, don't let John uh, maneuver the reflecting. Oh, reflecting what? Damn it, Steve! Reflecting what? Damn Steve. it, Steve! Slap, slap. slap. <laughs> yeah, when you t- kill someone with a three-minute death ray, it does give them a lot of time to make a, uh, a death speech revealing what they've, what they were yes. like closing in, what they got too close on. Oh, wow! That's it. A lot, a lot to unpack here, and just a, a lot of ideas. You know, I. You always hear about people who are like radicalized by like reading something or, you know, watching Joker or something. I, I really hope that we're not uh, exposing anyone to any ideas here by uh, by virtue of showing them this this book. Well, if anything were coherent or in our objections it, to it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's quite a quite a story. I don't know that he's still alive. We assume he is right. I mean, there's no reason to think um, that he's not. Yeah, I forget what year this came out, but I, then again, I believe he was, you know, in his seventies when he, this came out. So there's, you know, there's a chance he's he's not, but um, you know, he'd be eighty or around something now. His, uh, his clock is ticking if he wants to see this enacted. So, well, he's he's just one of the few authors of whom I just don't ever want to run into. <laughs> Go to a book signing at a uh, Barnes and Noble or something. <laughs> ah, ew. Yeah. Hey, I too lie awake at night uh, dreaming of crushing my enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> Can you make it out to my nephew? Uh, it's his birthday. <laughs> that would be All right, there we go. Yeah, Article 13. Vulnerableness is where we pick up the next one. And I believe that vulnerableness was uh, repeated like five times in one of those fanfics. So I guess that's where we'll get to see that. Yeah, and it, it got me, yeah. Well, we have once again run pretty long on a book. A sentence begins with the capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period. I think all of mine are probably burnt. (laughs) I'm sure people sent in stuff. I had a couple extra, but yeah, let's uh, let's do it. If not, it'll be a nice greatest hits. Let's uh, let's start it off. This one was from Mike. It says, Also, the biological weapons contained terribly scary disease-producing germs or viruses which human being couldn't see and could spread without humans' notice. He said, well, I, think, I think we'd notice eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heather submitted, The change in Beijing's government brewed a first incident in a mega size which irritates the most significant stir in history. She says, this, this may seem funny with the mega size stuff, but it also shows how tiresome the book can be. I am constantly trying to interpret what Kim is trying to say, but give up after one or two rereads. Um, that, ju- that's nice to hear that because uh, I, I also posted a uh, little paragraph that I pulled out of the book and people were like, someone someone mentioned the Bob Crane thing, of course. Yeah. The, just the absolute gibberish of it. But that's what we have to deal with, like paragraph after paragraph. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yes. Yeah. As long as there's something funny in there, you can at least uh, take that away from it. Janelle and Arthur both posted this classic. Uh, Once the killing power would set in motion, hard feeling would result. <laughs> Uh, Balaji submitted the hot potatoes were thrown into the hands of China's Politburo and the nine members stood on a hot tin roof. That's a classic. 
Uh, Justin submitted, the book talked about a modern version of Plato's Republic, one of classic books written by the Greek philosopher Plato 2,400 years ago. That one's oddly Kleinian, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, who's buried in Grant's tomb, essentially. <laughs> Keith submitted, uh, I think this is probably from uh, President John Garfield saying, as long as we enjoy the New World Order, who would care going against it? Just like <laughs> try to pick where you're going for spring break or something. Uh, Ross submitted... Once China divided, that denotes the end of one China, which checks out logically. <laughs> it does. Hayden submitted Edward, Edmund Murdoch, sorry, Edward Murdoch, the chief of staff, came to the line to catch the president's eyes to speak out on the situation. He said so many words to not clearly describe what's happening. <laughs> Andrew submitted human beings are political animals. Brad submitted who would be the global justice. He says... While in and of itself, it's no dumber than any other sentence. I immediately got who's the sheriff of 64 squares vibes from it. <laughs> Who wow. would be the global justice? <laughs> yes. Justin submitted, human being as the Lord of all creations acts superbly to which one they should stick for their survival and prosperity. He said, these may not be the stupidest sentences in the assignment or even in that very fair paragraph, but I found them very amusing. I had a couple that we didn't uh, use, so I'll just read them all. Yeah, uh, please. The, the giant stature of the world's superpowers looks like it looks like a puppy's wagging tail. <laughs> no, uh, no word on the puppy's weight. Uh, Toro Yono, having glistening eyes upon hearing Doctor J Kim's confident hint, admired J Kim's rough plan, which was yet to be unfolded. I'm not sure why his eyes were glistening. And then the other one was this was really good, but the overlapping bureaucratic membranes of the pe Sorry, but the overlapping bureaucratic membranes of the passively obedient, immobility-minded bureaucrats would stall the process of carrying out the order. I think, yeah, like if everything was written like that, you might stall a lot of processes if you're trying to carry out orders that have that many <laughs> unnecessary words in them. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. I think we're good. I think we are, too. All right. I think uh, we have like two more sections of this book to read, so the next one might be a little shorter. But uh, thanks to everyone who supports the podcast on Patreon, and thanks to everyone who's reading along with us. It's a lot of fun. Do we get any uh, mail? Maybe we can do a separate thing or yeah, something? Yeah, we'll do one of those next week because I do have some mails that are pretty funny and uh, would be worth uh, sharing with people, but we've gone too long. <laughs> yes, indeed we have. Great. Thank you, uh, Patreon people. Thank you, everyone listening and reading along you're doing yeoman's work we'll see you next time this is 372 pages we'll never get back <laughs>